to What Are You Doing Movie Archives. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Down in Front. Our movie this week is... Two thousand and one, a space odyssey, the nineteen sixty-eight space movie by Stanley Kubrick. Go ahead and pop in your DVD, press play. Wait, listen, wait. wait. There's nothing wrong with your picture. Listen. Enjoy the experience. It's black. <laughs> it's a Kubrick film. Enjoy the experience for it's three just... minutes until the music has led you to the reveal of the logo. MGM logo pops up for a second, pops down, and when you when it disappears, press pause on your DVD. We've pressed pause here. In a second, I'll say three, two, one, unpause. I'll press play. You'll press play. And we'll watch the movie together in perfect sync. It'll be like any other commentary, except, of course, this time with four friends in your head. And your friends this week are myself, as always, T. Christie, my friend Brian Space Finifter. Hello, Dave. New friend, Serge Space Del Pierre. Hello, Teague. And Trey, the amazing Stokes. I, I, guess. I enjoy doing down in front, and I have a stimulating relationship with you. <laughs> 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 no, get to I, I thought I was going to be the only one to pop out with the Douglas Rain impression, but clearly that was uh, silly of me to think so. Uh, we have a long history with uh, Kubrickian movies, and if you want another exploration of how we feel about Kubrick and enlightenment on that subject, go to the Full Metal Jacket commentary. Also really good. But this one's great, too. So Makes just, a great double feature. Oh, it's an excellent. <laughs> en- enjoy your next seven hours of, yeah. of visceral filmmaking. and Full Metal Jacket. However, I come to this with a similar opinion. I came to Full Metal Jacket with... That movie just kind of bores and aggravates me, and I don't understand why. And after Full Metal Jacket, Eddie kind of laid it out for me in a way that we sort of came to a conclusion that I was able to go, I get it. Kubrick, it's more visceral. It's more a dreamlike state. It's more laying out the thing for you. And this, even more so than Full Metal Jacket, is, you know, you go to the theater with your family, and you experience the theater. Yeah. You put on the good shoes. It was the 60s. It was the late and 60s. And there's a major... Cin- it was a Cinemascope. Cinemascope movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And for all the big, diffi- big, big, for, all, big for all the differences that this movie has with others just by the nature of being Kubrickian, Kubrickian, a Kubrick film, it also outlays my experience by about 40 years of generational development. Yeah. Because um, the first time I saw... Actually, more than 40 years, if we look at it that way. I think I, I saw this just a few years ago, and it came out in 68. So... This movie for any Definitely number, not an MTV style movie. Yeah, for any number of reasons, um, this movie didn't work for me, and it's hard to isolate variables when there's so many differences. Uh, but I'm the only guy here that has has openly stated a distaste for this film. Um, Brian, we'll see if you live through the hours. <laughs> yeah, you're the only guy here who, would not, in, who we, would not sleep with this movie. We, 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 we brought yeah. in an expert just to overcome me. That's right. That's right. Um, Brian, how do you feel about 2001? Uh, never mind. <laughs> oh, how do you feel about oh. 2001? Hey. Oh, I love it dearly. It's been my favorite movie for a long, long time. And uh, a lot of that, I think part of that at least is me being a film snob. So now that I'm trying to shed my snobbery. As you uh, said in Full Metal Jacket, a hobbying snobbist. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it's still a movie that I, I love very, very deeply. And essentially, because as we talked about in Full Metal Jacket commentaries, Kubrick is about the experience. Here's the experience of being at war. And 2001 is, here's the experience of being in space. Which and is why the, it takes forever and nothing happens. Yes. But if there's one thing I want more dearly than anything else in existence, it's to be in space. So this gives <laughs> so it to me in space. So the movie could have been longer. If it was like three or four weeks, then oh, you would yeah. Yeah. Also if, you, if you could make this movie six months long, I would be down. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they made an excellent screensaver that you'd probably love. Yeah. Now, you also made a really Don't funny... think I haven't stared at that screensaver for a okay, long okay. time. <laughs> Just put it outside your window. You also made a, a joke in Transformers that Trey mentioned and I want to bring up. Uh, 
Which how, might how, be a joke. What, what, it might be very what, what's, insightful. What's, what's an easy, insightful way to juxtapose Stanley Kubrick with the modern film-going audience? Stanley Kubrick is Michael Bay sped up very, very fast with a lot of other tricks. Other way well, around. You did that backwards. So. Oh, did I? Okay. Yeah. Well, the, the th- like we said, like we, the conclusion start, start from scratch. Yeah. The conclusion we I'll do it seriously this time. Yeah. The conclusion we came to in Full Metal Jacket is Kubrick is about the experience, and I think we came to a similar conclusion, or at least I did, in with Transformers, where Michael Bay, if he's trying to tell a story, he's not doing it too well, but he definitely conveys an experience. And we there's two philosophies of filmmaking you could take: where is filmmaking about telling a story, or is it about presenting an experience and developing you in that experience? Yeah. So, and I, th- I think the difference, though, is, is is just so we can keep our intellectual cred, is that Kubrick's experience has ideas in it, mm. whereas whereas Michael Bay's experiences so far are you know the experience of being hit in the side of the head with a brick. Uh, you don't. There exactly, are certainly more philosophical underpinnings to Kubrick yeah, than there are yes, Michael Bay. Exactly. So for all that, Michael Bay is Stanley Scoob- uh, Stanley Kubrick on speed. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And that's not necessarily. I, 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 when you said that, I was kind of like. Huh. <laughs> you might be honest. It's weirdly there. insightful. Now we're going to come back to Serge. Trey, what's your okay. relationship with 2001? Oh, well, um, more so than, than Star Wars, which, you know, for, for so many people my age. And, I, didn't, and I didn't know you liked Star Wars. I, 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 I'm familiar. I'm familiar with it. Um, you know, uh, 2001 and Star Wars were basically sort of the bracket of my youth through high school experience, which, which between the two of them and everything that happened in between is why I'm here today. I mean, 2001, when I was like, what, the age of eight? Um, seeing in the theater saying that w- th- that's awesome and really awakening me to you know movies as, as a thing that humans were making somewhere somewhere on the planet humans were doing this it wasn't something that just came out of the air and you watched on television and um and there was and we have a copy i love that we have a copy of it sitting on the table right here there's a book here that sarah's brought because my copy long ago disintegrated i'm so amazed to see this From book reading yeah it's called the making of kubrick's 2001 it came out at the time which again as i've said otherwise in, in other commentaries is very rare in the 60s and 70s no one gave a damn about how movies got made. You didn't have all this making of e-channel. Let's go behind the scenes of Planet of the Apes and see what went on. I mean, when you found a making of book or video, it was like gold to actually be able to see what it was like to make something. So this book here, The Making of 2001, which is very technical and goes into great depth about it and also covers the experience of you know how they made it and how they wrote it and the, and the critical reception afterwards and all the crazy audience responses. It's a, it's a great book. Um, and there, and there, what's this other one you have here? The Lost Worlds of 2001? That's Arthur Z. Clarke's memoir the of The Making of. Right, and it's a collection of stories, also yeah. having to do with the you know. So it's just it's yes, it's it's just something to put on the drugstore rack, you know, that says two thousand and one on it because it's a hot movie. But it was such a hot movie that people actually were willing to read books about it. Um, anyway, so that book really opened my eyes to this visual effects thing. And there's names in there like Doug Trumbull, that young wonderkind, and uh, and I think I think. I could be wrong. I think Dennis Buren at the age of, you know, two and a half might have worked on this movie. It, 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 I think everyone of that generation in special yeah. effects did, yeah. Yeah, because there was nothing else to work on. Except for Dykstra. Yeah. And, uh, no, Dykstra, I think Dykstra was involved. I'm not sure. But um, anyway, so so the making of 2001, I'm just, just reading, that, reading that book cover to cover and then living my whole, you know, high school years and getting a camera and starting to make movies and then bang out comes this Star Wars movie. And then, uh, you know, I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to go to California and go to school and try and get into this movie business. You should get around to that. Yeah. One of these days, I hope to hope to succeed. And our guest this week is Serge. Hi. Who is here uh, for overwhelming knowledge of 2001. Overwhelming love for 2001. What's your relationship with 2001? How, how, what are your similarities with Trey in that regard? Well, we're, we, Trey and I are about the same age, so we basically came out and you know, when we were very young and impressionable. And uh, at the time, I, I really loved... 
every, anything about space. And I watched Star Trek. I was watching Star Trek with my mother, and when it was on NBC on a black and white television, and then my seventh birthday came up. I said, my dad said, "We're going to go see 2000." I'm like, "Yes, yes, space, space." So he brings me down to the big Cinerama t- um, uh, movie theater in Montreal. I think it was called the Imperial, and we're watching it, and we snuck in some sodas and everything. I was really excited, and then it you all right. starts. Oh, we did it way right, <laughs> and then it all comes up, and it's spe- you know, and first of all, it's apes and everything. There's a monolith, I'm like, what's going on? Okay, fine, and then there's space, and I'm loving it, I'm loving it. But the it, and I love the whole thing, but I remember like getting about three quarters of the way through, and I keep. I'm asking my dad, Dad, what's going on? What's going on? Shh, shh. What's going on? I mean, I really, I, I, I was having, as a seven-year-old, I was having a hard time understanding what's going on. Yeah. Like I did as a 20-year-old. Yeah, you, you, what's you, going on? The thing is, you don't get the movie when you watch it. I mean, but it did. And anybody who says they do is a liar. Yeah, for, 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 those, of it, for those of us, you know, and, you know, we, we did further reading. It wasn't until, yeah. you know, I read up on the book. I read, the, you know, the Sentinel, the original story. I read the Mickey 2001. I was like, oh, that's what they were going for. So you're okay. seven-year-old, so seven years old, you're sitting there, you're watching it. Loving it, loving it, loving it. So, I mean, I just loved everything about it. And then, you know, uh, I mean, I collected like. Uh, Bubblegum with uh, you know with little wrappers that they had like images from 2001. Anything I can get them. I was of that age, and then you know then I think it came back. This before you know the time of like you know home video and yeah. VHS and all that kind I of hope thing. They, I hope they show that in the theater again someday. Exactly, or and maybe once or twice on television. And that's what they did back in like whatever 71, 72. Then they bring it out in the theater for a couple of weeks, and you go see it again, and then they take it away for a few years, and then they come back again in the mid 70s. So I saw it like maybe three times during the 70s, and then later on when VHS came al- along was able to see it and the first time I saw it on VHS was at my friend Eddie's place on a little whatever, 12 inch black and white TV and we're like watching like oh my god like, oh look at that there's the discovery oh it's so tiny but this is great you know we brought back our memories of it because we really liked science and we liked space and everything about it and it just you know captured it was just a very captive experience on the whole thing apart from the fact that it was a Kubrick film which is a whole other thing it itself just brought you into space like no other film had not Star Trek I mean, I guess you know, Star Wars did later. Star Wars like what, what wiped it off the map because Star Wars like, okay, now you're here, and we're going to move the camera. You know, <laughs> 2001, we're not moving the camera, but it's okay. Kind of thing. So has your has your admiration for 2001 grown in the intervening years, or are you still the seven year old when you watch it? I mean, do you respect it for new reasons that you found as you've gone along? It's changed depending on the experience. Um, you hadn't read the book. Or, or I, I assume you didn't know much about sci-fi when you were seven years old. No, I'm, well, I mean, just other than Star Trek, I knew sci-fi through Star Trek, and I really loved. I mean, Star Trek was great. Um, and that's that was my the extent of, of sci-fi, and uh, but I mean I got to like sci-fi very much from 2001, and it was just my favorite film for years and years and years. Then Blade Runner came along, and you know that kind of knocked it out. Star Wars, but I'm like, still it's on the top, and you know, and it still it still has a place in my heart because once again I was very young and impressionable, and I carried great memories. Now I've seen it since I saw right, it in movie 2001 theater. is his Phantom Menace. Yeah, but 2001 is a great movie. That's the difference. <laughs> it's wrong. I, yes. We, you know, we're, we sh- and, and eventually we should probably press play, but I'm just I, I'm trying to think, you know, is there any kind of analog to nowadays to when a 2001 comes out? Cuz you know, when a, or or a Star Wars comes out, you know, when when a movie comes out like Avatar. 2001, you know, it's it's a thing. It's a nationwide not everyone goes to see it, not everyone Enjoys it when they do, but everyone knows about it. Avatar, everyone, Avatar, yeah, you know, it's like is Avatar, but is but is Avatar going to change say? anything fundamentally? Or, or depends on who you ask. Well, I yeah. would say, yeah. actually, I'd say yeah. Matrix. Probably Matrix. Matrix. That, that was, Matrix was probably was the last. Yeah, I, Avatar. Yeah. I'm not sure if Avatar has done it. Well, I guess maybe it has. We'll we'll I mean, we don't know. I'm missing we'll the out. tone of your criteria, but it, it, what you said, we'll find Avatar out. But applies. I think, yeah, I think those are fair. I think those are the only examples that probably would be I think worth. Matrix is a really Matrix good and one. Avatar, we'll see what kind of well, lasting effect. But don't Matrix, forget about think, surrogates. Yeah. Sure, and surrogates. Surrogates change everything. <sighs> yeah. That being said, get your mouse and remote ready. Go ahead and press play 
when I say unpause. Here we go. Three, two, one, unpause. Now this this that was a great three minutes of music, wasn't it? It was. What's awesome. with the music? I mean, it, it was you, an overture. You guys just explained it to me, but I didn't know. And yeah, I I, I always anticipate that our audience you, is as ignorant as the, I am. Back in the old days, there, Teague. If you watch if you watch a number of movies, if they've released a full 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 version on video, and sometimes on television they'll do Whoa. this too. I want to bring this up. Actually, this is awesome. Sure, I'll just image. stop talking. Sorry. <laughs> It's like looking at a snowman from his feet. Yeah. I know, but you'll get used to it, Trey. You just yeah. do it a few times, you'll get used to it. Okay. This is under the, under the music, but there's a, there's a theme that pops up here visually of the alignment of the sun, the moon, and the planets, yeah. whether it's the Earth and the moon or whether it's with Jupiter, which comes up, which comes up later. Yeah, the alignment is, is it's one of the things that it, the movie says. It, without, without having a scientist go, oh, so when the planets align, then that means something's about to happen. Um, it's just it's a visual motif. Yeah. But the... Uh, the but I was going to say, and I think I do have a moment, because well, we're going to watch these planets align almost at planetary speed for a while. Um, <laughs> the, the, Which is thousands of miles an hour. Nice yeah. flare. Nice flare. A, a, movie, uh, a movie in the 60s and, uh, with, you know, where... We're trying to be the anti-television, which meant we have big, big, big screens. We have this thing called widescreen we've invented. Don't stay home and watch television. Come to the movies and have a full theatrical experience that you can't get at home. So often big epic blockbuster movies of the 60s especially have um, have an overture, as if you were going to see a theater show, as if you were going to see a, you know, a very you it's know, just Broadway show. Well, it's not playing when you get there because that means you have to sit down in three minutes. It literally the lights go down and there is an overture just like there is in a Broadway play. You sat there in the dark hmm. while the music played, um, and then you know that's the intro to the film. And if you if you see a full release of a movie like Ben Hur or any you know another Gone, big with, the wind. Gone with the Wind, you know it'll it'll say intermission, um, and it's really actually mostly for television purposes that they put that slug on them often that say intermission or or on track or or um, you know. Uh, uh, Overture, um, so you won't sit there and you know be pissed at your television cable network for 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 having the picture not work because it's like no, there's not supposed to be any picture yet. It's black for thirty minutes. It's for thirty seconds. It's the overture, and then smash cut to the African plane. Right now, this is takes place basically what Kubrick said about four million years ago. Which is, which is the, uh, there's a title card that says that right. Well, it's, well it's, the title card said it's Dawn of Man, yeah. but it's not specific about the yeah, time. Good, it was good that they didn't pin it down because we keep we keep changing when that was anyway. Are right. there any points that it? are specifically different from the book, or does he ever take any well, liberties? The, the book is written from the screenplay. Well, the, there what? The, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no this book. Is, this is actually one of the. A lot of times, movies are based off of book source material, but this is one of the few instances, the only instance I know of, where the book and the movie were essentially written and made at the same time. Did and they went back and... Uh, whose idea was it? Kubrick, Kubrick, Kubrick went to Kubrick Clark and, and Clark. said... Because uh, uh, Clark had written a short story called The Sentinel, which is basically the moon segment of 2001 Space Odyssey, where they're on the moon and they find the monolith and, and the monolith crazy shit signal. happens. And <clears throat> Kubrick went to Clark and said, I, I like this. I think there's possibilities for a movie here. Uh, can we flesh this out? So they fleshed out the story together, and they essentially wrote the screenplay, made the movie, and Clark wrote the book at the same time. And so they're... They're largely similar because they would go back and forth between the two, but there are still some differences. In the book, they go to Saturn as opposed to Jupiter. Yeah. Now, the, the, a lot of the talk about visual storytelling now is, is we're going to it's going to be forty five minutes or so before a, a spoken word happens in this movie. Um, That's what we're but, but this this is something that I didn't get until you know I, I read the making of and so on. But you know, it's all being shown what's going on. 
But here's the problem. The, the issue is that these proto-humans, which is also, by the way, an amazing makeup job by uh, Stuart Freeborn, who some years later would make a little thing called a Wookiee. And you can actually see, you can see the, 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 the underpinnings of Chewie in these, in these apes. You can, you can see that Chewie technology was being formed um, with these apes. But anyway, but the message here is the apes are vegetarians. They coexist with the taper. And they're starving. Oh. Mm-hmm. They, they don't know to eat meat. They haven't figured that out yet. And they, they haven't figured out how to use tools to kill the meat with. Um, so the breakthrough that they're going to make is let's kill these things that live with us and eat them and then we'll have food. And the theory is that's... Original sin? Yeah. Well, the theory is that that's, that's why we exist. Yeah, otherwise, otherwise, we would have died out at the, at the quote-unquote dawn of man. Right. This, by the way, is, um, is, a, is a stage stage set. Yep. All that is... Oh, whoa. Uh, yep. Yeah. Do they actually have a... That's, really? Yeah. yeah. Is there a leopard attacking that guy? Yeah. 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 There's a guy in an ape suit being thrashed by a leopard. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they actually uh, photographed that. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was not from a computer. Yeah. Welcome to showbiz. Right. Now... Yeah. But that is that's, that, that set, which they come to, back to many times, is... Uh, that's a transparency in the background. You can just kind of tell because of the color difference. Mm. But that's a gigantic set, and then there's transparencies in the background. We'll also have a great footprint in the snow moment coming up eventually... Because all of these are obviously dancers uh, and uh, performers. Very, very thin people, so they don't look like people in ape suits. Right. But eventually they'll have a couple of baby apes, which are real baby apes uh, among them. But but look at these. I mean, this is a a tribe of Wookiees. I mean, again, Stuart Freeborn, just a couple years later, would make Chewbacca and everything else for Star Wars. And so you can can sort of see he he was working it out. Right. Actually, here with the with the transparencies in the back, with the, Kubrick developed the front projection system, which where they had a with beaded curtain, and what they did is they had the contraption. We have a half silvered mirror in front of the camera, and you project the image into it and reflects onto it. Oh. So this is on the stage. You can kind of see where it is. But yeah, they went to see the Africa divide, the, but it's pretty darn good. Oh yeah, they went to Africa, got all the transparencies. Who was Kubrick by this point? He was Kubrick. He was big. He'd already oh, done yeah. Doctor Strangelove, uh, which was his previous film, I guess. Just, uh, yes. Yeah, 64, yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, Lolita, of course, which is a big thing. And uh, had I like Lolita. Already done Spartacus. Spartacus. Yeah, Spartacus was, was his Spartacus first, was out, uh, yeah. first full thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he was... the On Spartacus, somebody has, else had was fired. I forget who. Yeah. And he, he was brought in to replace so what, that person. Spartacus is only sort of halfway a Kubrick film. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, he's kind of an odd choice for that movie. But, um, and, but also Paths of Glory, which was yeah. a critical success. And, I mean, know, does this hold any... <coughs> excuse me. Does this have any major impact on his career? Is this like the thing when, oh, this once, is he definitely, made, once he made this, he was... Yeah, this was definitely... This, this is, where, his, this is where most people finally became aware of Stanley Kubrick as opposed to, I saw a movie called Spartacus. It was pretty cool. I don't know who made it. You know, it's like because I don't care about those things. But, right on. But you were... At the time, certainly, you were very much associated 2001 with Stanley Kubrick. I mean, it's like the names were... They, they went together. It wasn't just the movie. It was the guy who made it was just as well known. I don't know how this differs. And I guess I could probably figure this out from Lolita and Clockwork Orange and to a much lesser degree Dr. Strangelove but those three films are my favorite Kubrick films in that order uh, and I think Lolita is the most I haven't seen Barry Lyndon uh, but it's hmm. of, of the ones that I'm aware of it's the most there's a, there's a movie happening in front of my eyes not a thing happening in front of my eyes uh, and Clockwork Orange is just so that's a painted. It's so it's that's a painted dead horse, by yep. the way. <laughs> and and they had to force the leopard to sit next to it because it stank. There's a, there's a fun fact from 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 the making of. Go ahead, sorry. Uh, whoa, I'm just so weirded out by the leopard's eyes that keep glowing. Yeah, yeah. which was uh, which was it's an probably, accident, by the way. And that probably was, because of the front projection. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It it, yeah. it, it, it it amplifies that and did it with the other animals also. You yeah. can see that. Sorry, so you were making a point. I'm sorry, you're talking about Kubrick and I was, Lolita. I was going to say that Lolita has 
something of a story and some ooh. Uh, some 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 character shit going on. Uh, Clockwork Orange is so weirdly and perversely compelling that you kind of have to watch it. Uh, and Doctor Strange Love is so hysterically funny yeah. that you have to watch that. And the rest mm-hmm. of them, Full Metal Jacket and this and the rest of them, uh, AI, Eyes Wide Shut, don't they just they all have that Kubrick smell to them. AI, of course, has a Spielberg smell to it too, and it doesn't work for me. And I don't know what the difference is. I haven't looked at them critically recently. Yeah, I mean, you look at this, and here they are. They're just. Yeah, they're very they're very pacifistic. They're they're waiting. They're they're afraid of of nature. They're they're mm. hiding. And they're just they're just they don't they don't have anything to do. They're just like well, so we got these thumbs. This is Anybody, like Sun Valley. Anyone got any idea what to do with these thumbs? I don't know. I See, just, there, there's one of the there's baby a real chimp, yeah, chimp baby. A real chimp. Yep. Yeah. That chimp baby spent the rest of its life <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Now you look at this. This makeup is awesome, and this was the same year as Planet of the Apes. Yeah, and, and this Planet, was this Planet, was not nominated. No, it wasn't nominated. It, wasn't, I it, was. it, it wasn't nominated because, uh, as uh, as people have said, that it may not have been clear to the nomination people that these are actors, that these right. aren't apes. Yeah, you know. That's, yeah, I mean, Planet of the Apes. We know who Roddy McDowell is. Yeah, and Planet of the Apes was John Chambers won a special award for uh, yeah. for makeup for that. So yeah, look at look at the way the face articulates. That's exactly the way Chewie's lips when it's it's tied to the jaw. The jaw, the lips go when the jaw opens, mm-hmm. and uh, so Chewie's just a refinement of these guys. Yeah, I think that would he, be a stoned actor playing an agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he's I, just waking up. Yeah, I think he's called Moon Watcher in the book. Yeah, that's him. You can see his little. Yeah. Oh, okay. he's excited about something. Yeah, all right. So this is our <laughs> monolith, right? Yes. Monolith. Yes. All right, guys. Which, first of all, what just fuck. If we want to get uh, geeky, uh, its its dimensions are one by three by nine. Yes. Prime prime squared. Uh, okay. Cool. And it's so, solid black. Nothing to it. Yeah. Go ahead and panel this one out for me. I'm going to table this. What does this mean? And why is it here? Well, the guys who know this movie. There's there's two there's two things about this movie. One is again. When you're first watching this movie, you know, it doesn't come with the crib notes and it doesn't come with the guy in the white coat going, now we understand. Um, you know, you're supposed to experience it. And, and that's why people interpret it. This is all kinds of things. I mean, you could say this is God. You know, this is God's way of doing things. The literal intention of the filmmakers, we just jump and look behind the curtain. The literal intention is aliens, you know, some intelligence that isn't us, clearly, because we don't have any yet. It doesn't look one by three by nine. Uh, it looks skinnier than one. Go on. That, it could be. Mm-hmm. Or it's one by one by one, one by one by four by nine. Pardon me. Oh. It's one squared, two squared, three squared. There you go. Okay. Uh, aliens. Thank you. So some some intelligence has placed this here, um, and as you'll see, you know, again, it's all in pantomime. But he, you know, the Moon Watcher is the one who finally touches it, and from it gains this understanding of tools and weapons, um, which allows us to advance. Um, jumping ahead in the story, the monolith or another monolith, just like it, is buried on the moon. Uh, buried on the moon, the idea being if this species can advance far enough to get to the moon and find the monolith, they'll dig it up and it'll, the sunlight will hit it and that will send us a signal that says they made it to the moon, go talk to them. So this is basically giving us our, our, our shot at having a civilization is what this device is doing. Right, exactly. And the sun, and, and I mean, here they've, they've, they've hesitated and now they're up on it and just waiting for the moment when... And this is where not having the music... It's yeah, just it's a, takes right. more than fifty percent of the experience away. Yeah. 
music just creeps the hell out of you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the Legetti. And I, I, which comes I, back later. Yeah. yeah, I always enjoyed the I always enjoyed the fact that there yeah, is. yeah that, that there's the alignment and and, oh. and it's the sun touching the monolith and that's yeah. what gives them essentially the knowledge. It's what, it's what power, when the monolith gets hit by. It's funny that you there's see, also a there's a you'll also notice and again the movie doesn't make a big deal out of it but they live with the monolith for a while and then one day it's gone. It's not there anymore. It just went away in the middle of the night. So anyway, go ahead. It's funny that you guys, as fans, say you're losing some of the experience by not hearing the weird ambient music. I'm enjoying this way more because I'm giving it credit where credits may or may not be. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it credit that there's excess sound design and something that I can connect with in a movie that I'm only seeing pictures. I'm not hearing the audio like we always do. I always just infer that there's sound that I can connect to going on. If it was just a piece of music, that's the driving force. There's, there's a, well, right there's a wonderful, this, this bit of pantomime right here, and it, it plays almost a lot in long shot. But there's a great bit of pantomime of him getting this idea, <laughs> and this and this is also to the to the uh, to the Strauss to um, yeah. Zarathustra yeah. playing. And this is just one of the most famous thirty seconds or a minute in film. That yeah, there is. It totally has been parodied eight million different ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, what you're thinking of comes in a little bit. This is the precursor to that. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah. There is there is a there are some figure, for those that aren't watching the movie along with us. Yeah, he's he's looking at bones and going, oh shit, it's what what can I yeah. do here? Hmm, and what the, is this? The fact that it takes you know he's it, they're really playing this out you know because he sees this one that's like huh that's I could put my hand on that end yeah and huh look what it does so it's just a great it's it's playing out in one it's all playing out in in, in one shot. Which yeah. the idea? Ow! Oops. Uh, he's okay. Like, yeah. Oh, was it for tools? Yeah. He's like, oh, and then, yeah. Okay. And there was no work. civilization. Oh, go ahead. Hit me in the eye, and that was it. Whereas the idea being behind this idea, this concept, is the fact that human beings are special because we're the only animals that use uh, tools. Which at this point, is not we we've uh, learned that is not true. It's not. Yeah, but we're, we're certainly the only ones who develop them. The yeah, who yeah. Have, that's the difference. Mm-hmm. But yeah, other animals have thumbs. Uh, plenty of animals are faster than us. Plenty are. Almost as smart as us. Um, well, the thing that weirded me out was... Being smart isn't necessarily a good thing, because we're smart, but not much else. You know, mm-hmm. anything else can kill us. You know, but not- it's not even so much like we're smart, but that's that's not a great thing. But it's like how how not much smarter we are than other animals. Yeah. We're, we're learning more and more about how smart chimpanzees and other apes really are, and exactly how smart uh, dolphins and other uh, aquatic mammals are. The thing that blew my mind was that not only do other primates use tools, like we know chimpanzees and other primates do, but dolphins use tools. Yeah. And right. that, the, that blew my mind. The air bubble curtain is amazing. Yeah. It's fantastic. Right. But in, in a way, I mean, we've been the ones who've been able to take essentially technology yeah. much right. further we than can, any other we can, species. We can build tools. I mean, chimps will use things as tools, but they, you know, they're not going, if I, if I make a screwdriver, then I can make... A TRS-100. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. We're the only species yeah. that makes tools to build other tools. To build tools. other tools with. Yeah. So anyway, right. so here, here you see the differences. You know, they've got, hey, meat. Awesome. Yep. Um, you know, the, the idea that, you know, overnight you can become a carnivorous species, you know, an anthropologist might have a problem with that. But uh, I mean, you'll notice even before they're eating meat, they have incisors. Yeah. So, so clearly it just hadn't occurred to them. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. we used to do it, but now we forgot. And then where this which is, leads... Which is possible. It can't happen yeah. in the species. Yeah. And then where this leads, of course, is what that allows them to do to essentially become dominant in the species. Yeah. Because they're going to have their little war now where they're, you know, the, the, tribe that, the tribe that was scary last time is like, all right, now, like, now we got the bomb, my yeah. friend. So Yeah. We cannot allow North Korea to get bone <laughs> yes. technology. That's right. <laughs> we will bury you. You want some? 
You people are going to be the precursors of France. <laughs> hey, watch it. We, we are we are German apes. Ah, we have big bone. Great, it's always great, uh, you know, great pantomime, and you know the fact that these people, these people all went to you know eight pantomime school and this whole thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you can, you, I mean, you can. Obviously, these are people in suits, but their 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 pantomime is pretty good. And here he comes across like, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, do it. He's like, gonna do it. I got it. Come on, yeah, no, yes. Will this no. work? It works on pigs. Yeah. I'm gonna give it a go. Don't push me, man. I got a thing here that you won't believe what happens. And this isn't about sex. This is about oh, power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And another one. It's yeah. like, yeah, okay, okay, and so this is the yeah, that's it. Know. Hey, so yeah, this, the, their behavior is great. It's like I don't know if this is going to work yeah. or not, but I'm going to try. But that's now I'm right. doing it. I don't know. I don't know. You know how how dead you need to be to be dead. So we're just going to keep doing it just yeah. to demonstrate. So and they're in the, the other even like, apes understand the uh, the idea of if it's a pulp, yeah, yeah, it's probably dead. And now it's like, you see, yeah, yeah, well, well, yeah. mess with that. You want a piece of this? <laughs> yeah. How about you? For it's a face, you want a piece of this? That's right. This is our water hole now. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. Goo. Go evolving in the Neanderthals. Why don't That's you? right. And here it comes. Now comes the shot. What's this? Oh, this, this, this the is the shot. Cut. Here it is. Yeah, there it is. It always, even at the time, it always perturbed me. Boom. That the, the, it's not a straight cut. You expect it to be like a perfect cut, and it's not. It goes up, and then it comes back it's, down. But I'm just and... saying it doesn't match. I mean, it's like it was, you would expect it to like be lined up when it cuts. It doesn't. I still love Ray Lovejoy. I don't understand what's... I've, I've never seen that shot before, or a parody of it. Oh, really? Well, to my knowledge, what's, sure what's, what's the significance of it? Well, I've seen in Zoolander where they go <laughs> ape shit <What's> the, <laughs> when they start beating on the computer. What's the significance of the shot? The shot is, and now look at the tools we make. Right. Yeah. You know, so. It's a match cut. This it's like, here's, here's the bone. The bone is a tool. We'll throw it up. The bone gets replaced by a satellite, which is just a more sophisticated tool. Yeah. In the book, actually, and in the script, that's supposed to be a nuclear weapons satellite, like a nuclear weapons platform, right. which rec- continues the theme of tools for good or evil. Yeah, it's like, it's, but uh, trying to explain tool. that in first the first tool is used as a weapon. That's that's what it's for. All right, guys, who read this book a million times? How are they doing this? Are these a bunch of still images? Yes, often. Yeah, this glass. It's uh, what's called a glass shot. Many times, where literally the planet's painted on a piece of glass, so you can light it up from behind and light it. Are they moving it frame by frame, or are they just sliding it smoothly? Combination. There stuff. was some very, very uh, basic. Well, they're, at the t- it's a multiplane camera, isn't it? I mean, they're basically using multiplane, just glorified multiplane. Okay, well, that's right. clearly a model. Yep. Yep. Yes. And a really nice model. What, what, what nice innovations? What it, I guess the best summary is: what innovations did they come up with? I'm Trey. not sure if there's any innovations. Yeah, <laughs> Sarah's like Trey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if there's, there's, there's innovations in this. Um, there's there's just a a more sophisticated use of a lot of existing technology. What I was about to say is I think there's a lot of like for example Disney invented the multiplane camera in the 30s um, to do Snow White and other movies like that where they 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 said first of you know, we, we'll paint on God glass. Damn, that looks great. Yeah, it's yeah. Good. it looks well, really cool. Because the multiplane camera that Disney Pan American that yeah yeah Pan American and, and Bell Telephone is what uh, dates this movie more than anything else. But uh, but. A multiplane camera, and you can see it in classic era Disney films, is, you know, they said, okay, we'll paint on glass because animation is a flat sheet of paper, of plastic or glass. But what if we had multiple layers of glass with different paintings on them, and then we, as we moved across it, we would create parallax. So that's how, so it's called a multiplane glass camera, and that's, you know, that's why those classic movies were like, that was a breakthrough for cartoons. It's like they have a 3D feel because the backgrounds... Are back there. Move in, move in three dimensions, and you don't have to calculate it. You just build a three-dimensional layout and do it that way. So is this just an optical layover? 
Or uh, no, that, it's that, that, that was a plane of glass. It's not a piece of glass. Literal plane yeah. of glass. And, it's, and, and it's, it's on a thread right there. Yeah. And in fact, it's moving non-ballistically. It's, right. it's not. It's not. Which maybe that's the wrong word. But that's not how something would orbit. It's like it would orbit its own center of gravity. It can't orbit in a circle like that. It's one of the few technical mistakes in the movie. Right. But. Um, and, uh, and I, for the longest time when I was a kid, uh, this is the first time I was aware of this thing called Velcro, too. But um, the, for the longest time, I thought when she does the great walk around up the circle and they said she's wearing Velcro, th- Velcro shoes, I thought that's how they did the effect was that she was wearing Velcro <laughs> shoes. And she has incredibly strong ankles. Yeah, apparently so. so. I'm actually – I'm very happy and not like on a technical level but on a audience level with the depiction of the future even 40 years ago, 50 years ago almost – this yeah. movie is older than us actually walking on the moon. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it looks it still looks incredible. Well, it looks plausible. It looks like yeah. Yeah, they, that's comfortable. That's a good shot. They, that that they, seems like if a you saw it, ship. They, they just pay. now, if you saw the way his arm kind of floated Yeah, he was doing a, a nice pantomime there. Yeah. yeah. I'd also like to point out They got out the details right. And most these movies... These make so much more sense than the freaking Enterprise do. Yeah. Now, an important most thing... Most movies of this era did not even care about the details because, you know... Nobody knew the details. Yeah. Space travel wasn't, you know, a reality for, for humans. You know, it was like this crazy sci-fi idea. Right. Now, w- one thing we're missing here because we don't have the sound is, of course, the Blue Danube, oh, yes. which at the time was quite revolutionary because yeah. you had a certain – essentially people who were older would associate the Blue Danube with you know, whatever, yeah. the and, Vienna and that kind of and thing. And a science fiction movie, you had to get a theremin. Right. That's, exactly. The, the only way you scored a science fiction movie was to do spacey music. You know, you would have like weird, you know, weird whatever, – whatever you could do that sounded spacey and weird. And for him to, to do this very elaborate space scene to a classical piece of music was, was revolutionary also. Right. Now, here's a question – for you guys, is this the, the visualization? That's awesome. Yeah, isn't it good? And the, the panel design is it still yeah. looks plausible yeah. even today. Yeah. It's more it's better than the original Star Trek's panel. Oh, design. by leaps and bounds. Yeah. Um, is this the first science fiction film or first instance of science fiction in popular culture that portrayed science fiction with some amount of class, with some amount of culture to it, as opposed yeah. to being you know Star Trek while yeah. great. Is not yeah. very highbrow. Jimmy Jones, Rocket Ranger. Exactly. Whatever, yeah. The right. Flash Gordon style. Right. Wagon Train to the Stars. Well, yeah. Look at that little comp little, in there. Little RP mm-hmm. going yeah. on. And look, well, at, several, comp on, look at the comp on top. And we're on the right down. and left. Yeah. And that's is, there, is it just RP? Is that that's what you're doing? A, that's, uh, no, that's, I think that's front projection. Yeah. One of, yeah, it's probably front projection. It looks a little washed out, so it's probably front projection. Yeah. But, now, the interesting thing here is you have the shot. I mean, you've, you've got the stationary st- the station and got the stars going around, and then how the uh, the clipper actually starts rotating with the station yeah. to come in. And then they and then they cut to now they're going to do the POV shot where to them the station the station is now stationary and it right. docks. So it would yes. So to answer your question is like very few movies would actually or television shows certainly would go to this level of detail to kind of demonstrate this is the process of how this could work and and make a whole sequence out of it that isn't an action sequence or anything. I'm else. actually fascinated this time. I don't yeah. know what's changed. Yeah, there you go. Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe now, it's that I just care now. Now let's let's get forward actually about a decade to Star Trek the Motion Picture, which tried to emulate this experience when when Scotty takes Kirk around the Enterprise, which right. to a certain extent, when you saw it in the theater, worked. I mean, it, it tends to be it tends to be a little long, but it did have its emotional value when mm-hmm. you know if you're coming back to Star Trek. Yeah, for for Star Trek fans who were fans of the original show, which had then been canceled, and then, then ten years went by, and go, I finally get to see yeah. the Enterprise again. It, yeah, I, big, I would on a big screen yeah. and really you really show it off. And this yeah. fantastic yeah. model, yeah, was this, but it had a, a film predecessor. And here comes here's the, first the movie's line. first dialogue. Twenty five minutes in, twenty five minutes and forty seconds. Uh, wow. So what's the, the, this shot? By the way, is replicated in The Incredibles. That's right. The Incredibles is very suffused with the two thousand one. Haywood Floyd is the Haywood Floyd. Um, <laughs> was this the hey, first Floyd. Was, I would look at what we just saw as being 
for the purposes of the next 40 years of model work, photoreal spaceship stuff, right? Was this the first really good example of photoreal spaceship stuff, or did that exist before? Well, there was great model work, you know, it wasn't like they invented great model work right for this movie, but uh, it's it's uh, it's that looks as good as Star Wars as good as it's one of the it's one of the earliest examples of people just taking it seriously in terms of the movie they were putting it in. I mean, you know, Forbidden Planet has good model work too, you know, from ten years earlier, um, but this was good model work and plausible model work. You know, it, it where they actually had advisors who said, well, you know, this is what it probably would look like. You know, at least by this time we were you know we were building. Things that went into space. So there was a certain look that people were starting to become familiar with about what a thing that travels in space looks like. So do you have? Do we have any understanding of what Kubrick was? What he wanted to do? What was going on in his brain? Was he a space nerd? Did he want to tell a story no. about yeah. the horror of space? Kubrick's thing was he basically wanted to go through and conquer each genre that he did, and this was his. I want to make the science fiction film. So he sat down and made 2001 Space Odyssey. I'm impressed that they built this Kirby set just, yep. just for that feel. And it's really, really long. What, what, really, what really strikes me about this is this reminds me so much of, I guess, I guess architectural designs from the late 60s and how they saw the future. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it's and it just I – mean, for but me – now- But now let's be honest. You could walk into many agents' offices in Hollywood and find those exact chairs. That's true. And find the style. Mm, yes. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. It has a very airport feel to it. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I mean, that, but that's the whole thing. I think it all fed on itself what airports were looking like. I mean, especially if you look at the design of Dulles Airport and what they had done there. Well, the, and one of the things, the other thing is, is it was what, for these sequences, he actually, he very much wanted it to demonstrate this, like, not only is this what space travel is like, it's like, this is where space travel has become already by this point a commercial business and is actually commonplace and mundane. You know, the fact that there's a Howard Johnson's earthlight room and, you know, here's your, here's your picture phone station. And, and when you're sitting, when you're sitting in the theater and it's probably in the soundtrack, but it, it maybe in 5.1, you get the, you get the effect, but uh, also cause this was a, in a theater is like, you know, big multiphonic stereo, which is also, you know, fairly new at the time. Um, as there, that, that shot of them walking down the, the curvature of the station there, there's a, there's an announcement. There's a woman going, a woman's sweater has been found. <laughs> Um, and it's not mixed out of the front speakers. It's mixed to the side or the rears if you have if you have that kind of a mix. Where it's it literally comes across like some who's making an announcement during the movie about you know <laughs> I don't care about a sweater. I'm watching a movie. Um, and the idea is like you know this is what it's this is space travel at this point. It's like yeah well, I'm gonna call my daughter and then I'll meet you for lunch in the Howard Johnsons and you know it's not it's not mystical. It's all it's all very mundane. Well, exactly. It's, it's become mundane. It's become regular. It's a, it's the Hilton. If you saw there, it's the Hilton Space Station. Yeah, and it's a first thing. Yeah, it seems like you can count the stepstones from Forbidden Planet to 2001 to Star Wars to Alien, in terms of we're getting more and more and more lived in. Yeah, we're going yeah. from, you know, the 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 pristine Logan's Run, Logan's so, Run, or, sci-fi. or, or Buck Rogers well, even. Yeah. Buck Rogers runs, Logan's runs the opposite. Logan's run is, Logan run is the opposite. Yeah, right, right. right. Um, well, you're starting starting there, and. Uh, and you get to the point where it's, it seems like every major visionary leap forward in sci-fi filmmaking, oh, it feels so lived in. Well, every single one was way more lived in than the last one. Yeah. That seems like it's the default <laughs> idea. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, dollar oh, seventy is yeah. good deal. That's pretty right. cheap. By the way, we didn't, I don't think we mentioned, but that's uh, Kubrick's daughter who was playing that playing that little girl. Yeah, um, Vivian. Vivian's name, I think. Yeah. Maybe. So we we can talk a lot about what this movie got right about the future and what it got wrong. Yeah. Obviously, Pan Am and so Bell Telephone. How about the whole centrifugal thing? Yeah, centrifugal. That's, that's, centri- that's dead on. Centripetal. Centrifugal. 
Yeah. Right. Both. That's, well, that's centrifugal is actually an imaginary force. Centripetal. Yeah, centripetal. It's actually a centripetal force. Right. right. Don't ask me to explain what the difference is. No, but what, I know. I know. Work? I'm just saying. Does, does the centripetal thing work? work? Yes, yeah. it does work. And this I, and this was certainly one of the first. I, mean, I think maybe some maybe some you know 1950s man to the moon you know science kind of movies might have attempted it, but most movies, most science fiction movies and television shows just kind of skate over the whole gravity problem. You know, yeah. even even beloved ones where you know it's it's kind of their magic beans. It's like Firefly. How, how does Firefly, Firefly have gravity? Exactly. Never Star mind. Trek. We don't talk and, about it. And what about when you turn on the air and all, the, or when you lock out the vacuum and all of a sudden, thunk, oh, good, gravity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you know, yeah, we don't ta- we don't talk about that. Down. This yeah. this this movie, you know, committed. They you know, there's only gravity when there's either a, a you know a, a gizmo like this. Um, and discovery, are, and discovery has one built into it, into its, into it, and that's and everywhere else you go is gravity. Or when you're on the moon, it's only moon gravity. So. But there are there are minor quibbles, even even so. And there's well, there's some not, mistakes. Yeah, yeah, not to nitpick, but it's a nitpick. Yeah, uh, his trip the, to the moon has uh, has one that people like to point to. Although I can excuse well, the fact, it. yeah, I've. Unfortunately, it's a production problem that nobody has really figured out, and I wouldn't even know how. But how to replicate uh, moon or Mars gravity, which is lighter. So you, if you were on the moon, you would move at a different. And if you watch the astronauts on the moon, they bounce because the gravity is less. Earth to the moon how did it, it. Earth to the moon did it, but they did it with the exterior moonwalk. And they, how would you replicate that effect on an interior soundstage yeah. on a set inside the moon? It's hard to crack inside yeah. a moon base. Which my favorite. I don't know if you guys ever saw the, the Sherlock Holmes cartoon where he ended up in the future. Wow. One of my favorite inconsistencies. I have to say no to that one. <laughs> one of my favorite inconsistencies. You lost me with Sherlock Holmes cartoon. Yeah. Well, for some reason, he was in the future. Don't ask me why. But there was an episode where he was on the moon. And I, this was probably the only episode I saw, just to make that clear. But my, my favorite part of that was the fact that when they were on the surface in spacesuits, they would bounce around like they were on the moon. And then they would go inside and it would <laughs> and be, normal, be normal gravity. gravity. Well, they would do that on Space 1999 as well. This is, uh, what's it, Leonard Rossiter, is that that actor's name? Isn't, is I mean, the Russian? I don't know. The interesting thing is they're all Russians here. Remember, this is yeah. 1968. This is, you know, Cold War was going on, and here they're presenting future yeah. where the Russians and the Americans can friendly be up in space only but, but in it's 2001. Still, there's, but still, like, there's still the tension. They're, they're pushing each other for information. And they've come yeah. in here to this very nice... But the idea that them. they would even talk to each other at this point, and obviously they would have no idea in 1968 that the Soviet Union would be... Ten years gone by then, but yeah. but this uh, is well, yeah, this I mean, is but this is typical. This is actually how it was. I mean, you know, it's like Soviets and you know the Soviet people and the American people didn't necessarily hate each other. It was our governments who were having a problem. You know, right. Soviets are, you know, just they they wanted to sit down and have vodka with you. Effed up me. Yeah, it does. They get that thing, but. Yeah. Um, but, like but this, but this is exactly kind of how the dynamic was. Like, you know, scientists would meet at a conference and then very carefully dance around what they could or couldn't say to each other about whatever they were doing. Right. Um, and then one guy would go, I'd like to defect. <laughs> take, <laughs> like, take, take me, me with you. Take me to your boss. That's but right. anyway, so th- this, is, this scene is about how, um, you know, there's Clavius base and Clavius has been suddenly declared off limits. And uh, that's where Floyd's headed. And uh, the Russians are asking, well, what's going on at Clavius? Don't we need to know? Isn't there something that we should know? And he's like, "Well, I really, I really just can't say." Right. So. And they and they ask him. I think it's is there some kind of bug going around? Some virus? Yeah, yeah. A virus? Yeah. Exactly. Which is which like, is which I is actually say, the, yeah. the counterintelligence story that they've leaked. Right. That uh, there's a there's a, a disease at Clavius Base. 
One of, one, of Kubrick's, um, one of Kubrick's pet peeves about this movie, or, or Clark's, or both, was that people would see this movie and then talk about how, and then Floyd goes to Planet Clavius, um, because you know it's like just because they kept calling it Clavius, and uh, you know, and uh, he goes, he goes, we, uh, why do we have all those shots of the moon? I don't understand. <laughs> why do we bother? Why do we bother having him like travel across the moon? Right. You know, watching uh, watching this, now I get why Star Wars became Star Wars. Yeah. Right. It's Star the, Wars is a ride compared to this shit. Yeah, it's the anti. And it's, it's, the anti it's beautiful, Jedi. and it's it's well, it stood really, on. It's I mean, it's, Star Wars stood on this this film's shoulders, definitely. Yeah. I, well, this, this I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah, I'm sure we would have not had Star Wars without this. Well, maybe I don't know. He was he was he was coming from mm-hmm. the serials, not from this. But I'm sure this influenced it in many weird and conscious and subconscious ways. But I can understand how people would see this and being all oh, 2001, and then Star Wars comes out and they're like, fuck yeah. Like, I can understand how that change would happen. Well, when Star Wars came well, the, out, this, the, it was a different experience well, the, than this. The, 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 Look, they're the, flying to the moon, and sh- they're choosing to I think, watch the, a karate the thing, match the thing, you're, the thing you're missing is <laughs> the people who saw this movie were the ones who made Star Wars when they got older. Um, you know, this, George Lucas saw this movie when he was, you know, early 20s, if so. He was probably he was really in film school, I guess. Was he in film school Early late sixties, yeah. Early mid sixties, yeah. Like I that. think he was USC by now. Yeah, but um, you know, but this is the kind of movie that you know, Here Lucas, Lucas, and a million others like him. Kids raised on television and serials, and then seeing that you know this in a movie theater, going, well, that's pretty awesome too. What if I kind of combine all the stuff I'm into, and I'll make something called Star Wars out of it? Right. I mean, actually, let's, let's bring this up. That, that at the time, I mean, there was you know the kids, but the students, but also there was a lot of drug taking in the sixties, and part of it was to, a little bit, a little bit to uh, do some drugs and then go see this movie this became known as like the you oh know, yeah you want to take a trip this is a trip movie for sure yeah, totally trip movie easy rider and this now how much of this was influenced by the space race and at the time that was right coming to a head can you guys mm-hmm. explain to me how this shot works i still have no idea the, the set rotates it's rotating man and, 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 okay. and camera's fixed and and she's and she's standing on that you can't see it because it's it's cleverly built but she's just standing on a black circle that goes all the way around and they're just and, and they're just, the whole set's rotating, and that that part you don't see rotating, but that's it's actually not rotating. Um, no, you know, but if, what's if, nice if about you in space, you would just disconnect from the floor. Well, she's wearing the Velcro shoes. Yeah, so she's, she's just jump off. And, and she's going to help you out. They yeah. turn the camera they, around. They flip her around, but um, and her pantomime is pretty good. Um, but uh, but yeah, the the what's nice about the way they did it though is that's done as a that's done as a oneer and Straker. That's it. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Cameo by uh, Ed. Uh, Paul, 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 was it Paul Bishop? Paul, no, Ed, Ed Bishop. Bishop. Ed Bishop. Ed who Bishop. Who to play, just a few years later, very few years later, play uh, Straker on a great uh, series called UFO, which UFO. a lot of the effects people worked on. Anyway, um, the here, here's one of these so, so-called technical mistakes is the, the juice goes back down when he stops sucking on it. Um, it's uh, oh, go to hell! Yeah, it's, it's you know, this, this is what this is what geeks even even in '67 we had geeks who yep. would cl- complain about. Oh, there he like is. Um, yeah, there is a little cameo, and actually, the the this is all pl- uh, done with music. Um, you know, the, there was. There was chit chat. Oh, but, love uh, this! There was chit chat, but they have a conversation, but they just put music over it. Um, and that was Kubrick's decision: is you know, we don't, none, none of nothing that any of these characters are saying matters. So I'm just going to put music over it all. In and this, in this book, actually, in the making the, of Kubrick's 2001, are the instructions, the complete for, the zero instructions for the zero gravity toilet, the actual text of what that's what that says. And it's actually pretty funny. Uh, it's, you can contribute. I'll look at the book. Yeah, the uh, the, um, the zero gravity toilet is 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 literally the one intentional joke in the movie. Is the zero gravity toilet. <laughs> It cut away. Oh, oh, here it is. Here there it is. is. There it is. Yeah. Uh, ooh. <laughs> look, look at this photo of the moon. It's great. Yeah. Again, people, this was in the theaters a year before we actually we went, walked on yeah. the 
freaking thing. Pretty. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, I think they'd circled. They'd done uh, several missions oh, yeah, in yeah. a couple of years yeah. to they, go around. We it. had Orbit of the Moon at this point, and we had you know, unmanned landers and unmanned orbiters that take... Took high rise photos. I remember as a saying. kid, I was just I, I I think I had my first uh, boner because of the way this thing's legs Look deployed. At that. I mean, and, like, and, and yeah, one, I mean, once again, this was in the middle of the space race, and we we hadn't gone to the moon, and this was actually saying, "Well, we've gone to the moon, and we're there," and it just it, yeah. and it really is, captured the imagination it works, of it. Yeah, know, this is how we do it. And well, now we go to the moon regularly. Yeah, yeah, all which, the time. Which yeah. unfortunately didn't happen. We, we don't do so much, but so they're using every trick in the book here. There's there's flat photography that's just being animated on multiplane there's a little rp going on so that's like a photo you can see the perspective isn't quite changing on the ship um but you know they're using they're using various different tricks they're mixing it up they're just they're keeping it interesting and i'm reading the zero gravity toy thing right now they are by the way classified as uh there is what is it system a and system b yes depending on what it is you need to do important Mm -hmm. now there would be a system c but i guess they've got people for that i don't know (laughs) yeah maybe so (laughs) And this is still to the Blue Danube. Yep. Or they just continue. <laughs> you may leave the lavatory if the green exit light is on over the door. If the red light is illuminated, one of the lavatory facilities is not properly secured. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> oh, this is embarrassing. Press stewardess call button on the right <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to have to And do she that. will secure the facilities from that, the outside. That's why you should read. That's yeah. funny that they're... Make sure this, it's all th- gone before you do this. This moon, base, this moon base design is almost exactly what Moon Base Alpha from, uh, from yeah. uh, Space 1999, <laughs> a few years later, uh, ended up looking like. In fact, it also space. looks like the thing in... Uh, Contact. Yeah. Clavius Space, also oh. the name of uh, Tom Hanks' production company. Yeah. Because he's 2001 is his favorite movie as well. And uh, t- 2001. God, you guys are all nerds. He's yeah. a wise man. Oh, Tom Hanks is awesome. Oh, this was now, the, is the Independence Day thing based on this design where it's just the triangles that kind of separate out away from each other? Because that's what it looks like when the, the big ship opens up its primary weapon. Oh, Every, everything edge. comes from 2001. Because it's Probably. cool. Except, except for surrogates, which ripped, uh, which yeah. it ripped off heavily. Yeah, totally. Right. I remember even, even at the time, I thought, wow, not only are we you know, having a moon base, but we can have a moon base that has this colossal landing hangar in it. And we've even gone to the trouble of building like an astrodome to put on top of it. It's like, yeah. wow, we're, we're really, we've really got this moon thing figured out by this point. But this movie, it was, again, it was really eye-opening that, like what you were saying, I think it's what you were asking about before, where they just, they were so serious about really, really depicting accurately the processes of this. You may fire when ready. Yes. You know, that the, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, the ship doesn't come in gliding like a plane or anything like that. That's, it's like, uh, I like how the not, feet, look at the feet. The, the feet, feet were, oh, the, 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 the smoke asset is, uh, it's not saying zero, zero gravity to me. Yeah, and, and as if that's tough. not enough, yeah, then, then it's got to come then down this into this colossal here. chamber that we drop it into. And then look on the side, look at all the, de- I mean, all the, the level of detail on. and thinking through of, what this was and then but the thing is that it then it just opened your imagination to this is what we had accomplished in whatever it was for you know from that time 30 years by the way those are actually watching this along with us this was nine years ago wasn't that fun yeah remember what that was like remember oh, that those were the days and this, this, this is, is the remake contact this is the year actually that we make contact and jupiter is going to explode and become a star i hate when that happens yeah so get ready for that yeah so does jupiter yeah hope they're ready yeah hey these are going to be more like tattooing now wait i think they're called jovians yeah. Jovians, yes. Jovians. Well, Jovian Americans. Yeah. <laughs> well, it could be Jovian Canadians, too. Or American Jovians, if you went. What's funny if about. If you emigrated there. What's funny about this sequence is, is you kind of expect, because especially this long, long, long build, you know, it, the sequence doesn't end and it doesn't have any kind of like ta da to it. It's just the, the music comes to an end. You know, it's an existing classical piece and it just stops and that's, they cut out. It's over. 
Um, and this, of course, is but the uh, music still has that ta-da quality. Yeah, yeah, but but the right. but the scene doesn't have like a oh right. you know the thing doesn't land the, the door on top doesn't finish closing it just stops when the music stops. Um, this guy with his high tech futuristic camera, which actually isn't too far <laughs> That's off. That's right. Not I think, bad. I think I've got one like that. That's not too bad. That looks at all. kind of like a Scarlet. Yeah, it, actually. It, yeah, or like a flip phone. So yeah. this is, of course, um, th- these guys have to wrap this up quickly because Ripley is going to have her hearing in this room about in about a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, because apparently she wrecked a whole starship that was worth forty-seven million. So, uh, <laughs> once again, I hate when that happens. Yeah, those are adjusted dollars, of course. But here in this scene, just to keep people up with the plot, this is him. I like essentially- how they simulate windows. Yeah, and, is that and the idea? yeah, I think it is, and it's essentially what just the, the, you the, the, probably the, the, the do. Conscious experience of Windows. Yeah, yeah. it's also mm-hmm. like, well, these are projection screens. We're just not going to project anything on them right now. Maybe that's it too. But yeah, yeah, it's just a big old white white room, brightly lit room. But I just love it. This is the moon, and there's there's rooms just like here yeah. on Earth, on yeah. the moon. And you've got your water glass and your water pitcher, and, and it's just and your weird normal. chairs. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of plot, this is Haywood uh, saying, "Okay, well, sorry about the." The cover story, which is the virus that we've had to to tell everybody, but thanks for all of your cooperation while we deal with this real thing, which is the monolith, which we'll see in a couple minutes. And essentially the scene, correct me if I'm wrong, but this scene is just him going, thanks for your cooperation. Let's go check it out. And, and the great thing about this is that here's all this mundanity about the travel to the moon, I mean, to address this very, very seminal, important moment in, in human history. And what Kubrick's done is he's taken, instead of just trying to have someone explain through it and take care of it in, what, 15, 20 minutes of character development and plot, he's taken you on the trip of this of this guy to the moon so you know what his voyage is because it's that important. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, whole, and what, what tells us that he's important is he's been alone on all these flights. I mean, they just spent millions of dollars to get this guy to the moon to give this scintillating lecture. Um, and one of the great mysteries of the movie is, you know, why is this guy so, – because he's going to disappear. He's only going to be in the movie for another 10 minutes and then he's going to be gone and we've spent all this time with him and we're never going to see him again. Until 2010. Which is very uh, – so, un- you know, he's going to be played by Roy Scheider. But, it, but it's, you know, it's very unconventional, again, storytelling to suddenly just wipe the slate clean. Everything we've been watching for 20 minutes doesn't matter except as a setup for the next phase, which is going to be about all, all different characters. They're going – he's going to the moon to talk to them. And the, 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 the central mystery, the answer is we found this thing, right? And to and to go see it. I mean, yeah. I mean, he isn't. The whole point is he's in charge of this. So this is his thing that he's got to he's got to take care of somehow and manage. All right. So we just found another monolith. They yeah oh. they found something. Yeah, a monolith. Don't know what it is. We didn't we didn't know there was one at the dawn of man. We just found a monolith. Right. They went they went basically they went digging. We'll see that in a bit. Because well it's because it was a magnetic anomaly and they they dug for it I mean, oh, that's, they were okay, looking that's for right, it yeah. on purpose like what the something's under there i mean again it's designed to be that way so you know the the alien intelligence said we'll, we'll make it so you'll want to find it if you're capable of looking for it if they get to the moon and they know what electromagnetism is yeah they'll They're, figure they'll it take out this up yeah they'll get to this point and then when the when the sunlight hits it it'll activate and you know send us a send us a message right the anomaly was called TMA1 yeah Tycho because it's in Tycho crater Tycho anomaly 1 yeah that's right so again this is all it's all very mundane it's and it's it's one of the things that Kubrick was doing with this is is that half of what you know there's almost no dialogue in this entire movie that's actually means anything at all um that's 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 one of the things that kubrick was going for is you know like there's a scene that's coming up much later we'll skip ahead but the idea of uh, lockwood's uh, discussion with his parents 
is the, is the most boring conversation humans have ever had in the history of mankind, which is about 99% of the conversations humans have had in the, in the history of mankind. This particular but, but human you, just happens to be on his way to Jupiter. Yeah, so the, the idea is that, you know, it's like this guy's living this amazing, you know, futuristic thing where he's he's traveling to Jupiter to do this whole thing. And, and you know, he's like, oh, all right, I'll take my call from my parents. And they go, hey, so but why not? How are you? Take the extra crazy leap and make it relatable and make it. We're talking it about is relatable. Well, it, most, most, thing, it is relatable. most of the time people I talk to are boring and you know. Well, yeah, but they're also relatable. It's very. They're, they're talking in a in a about interesting things at an interesting. But, but I it think is what, I very anti dramatic. But I think I had, this mod- I had this model. By the way, this is a great model kit. <laughs> this is an awesome model kit. I think what it does, I mean, essentially places the, 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 bus, the it's event called. itself in a, in a bit of a crucible and saying. These are the people who are moving through it, but this is—I mean, this yeah. is a, a seminal, extremely important event that's happening. Yeah. And, and it, it, it focused by making everything less important. It focuses you, I mean, in, in a way, on an unconscious level, on the important event, on what it is. Even though you're watching it, and it makes you experience you're watching him go there, and you follow it, and it keeps your interest just enough. But the point is, is this—it's—it's it, not really—it's oh, not really cognitive. It's working on about that the symbol the whole it's importance on the of second it. level on the second level and that's right. holding the mundanity gets you into it. And here they're going to eat sandwiches. Well, I here's mean, the thing about the mundanity. They're going to have a whole conversation here's, about sandwiches. Here, here's the thing to yeah. the mundanity and my response to Trey is that 100 percent of the conversations you'll ever have alive on this planet don't mean anything. That's not the point. Everyone thinks everything they say is really important. I don't. I don't. I never caught that vibe here. Well, these oh, guys no, just, no, just, human, just humans being assholes always think what's going on in my life right now is the big fucking deal, and, and I need to convince you about whether it's whether or not this is. chicken salad is important to these characters, yeah. and that's why they talk about it. Right. And whether or not it tastes like real chicken salad is, I think, is part of their conversation. Also, I mean, you see some of the amazing moonscapes that they they set up here. If you want to see some uh, cool real moonscapes, some interesting lunar geography, look up some photos from uh, any of the latter Apollo missions because. The first Apollo missions, they were like, well, we're not sure if we can land at all, so we'll find the flattest spot we can and put down, which is what all Apollo 11 was about, and then oh. Apollo 12 to a lesser extent. Yeah. But as they got through the missions, they were like, okay, we, we're kind of getting the hang of this, so we'll try landing on that mountaintop up there. Let, let's give it a try. And uh, so the, the later missions have much more interesting um, topography and, and uh, geology, geography around them. So, And that's why Swaggart freaked out and blew up the plane. He didn't land on a mountain. Oh. Well, okay. they were actually supposed to land at the Frommoro Highlands, which is Apollo 14 landed there instead. It was all a joke. So, Highlands. <laughs> now, now, getting back to the food, actually, I mean, back in the in the late, you know the 60s, the whole thing with the space age. I mean, space <laughs> age food and everything. The crust tang, cut off. Remember, you remember Tang when Tang came out. Sure. Tang was the big thing. Space you can food have, sticks. That's right. You can eat. You can have the orange juice that the, the astronauts have. It was yeah. a big thing. So we you, had a. I don't know if you're aware of this. We had a giant. Holy shit! We landed on the moon party, where we had a whole lot of fun with it. We all dressed up like Mission Control, and we had Tang Jello shots. Nice. That's where that awesome. rocket ship in the corner came from. Is I made that so we could hang it in the ceiling. That is awesome. Oh, but but the whole thing of freeze dry freeze dry food, food. In space. Well, because back then modernity, f- the future was just such a big thing, which kind of started yeah. going away by the mid mid to late seventies, and then yeah. definitely by Star Wars, you know, was gone. And then it turned into Blade Runner and dystopias by then. Yeah. But it was you know, definitely the future. You, you, like. you absolutely wanted the space food sticks for your lunchbox, and and the fact that they tasted awful <laughs> it made no difference whatsoever. Because it was important to have the space food sticks. Yeah. Well, now you can buy freeze-dried food and powdered everything at Fry's. Well, now yeah. it's it's that's normal. True. Yeah, that's Lull high. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> we developed the technology to the to that point. 
So I, I love the, the how the the lunar background is just like floating by. I just yeah. always I, yeah, I, I had this experience with Full Metal Jacket. So too. much more well or, thought out than most movies of its time. And the moving camera just they didn't leave it static. They're they're, they're trucking to the left. Yeah, this well, is all. It's so the te- there's nothing about the technology that's particularly a breakthrough. It's just the the a filmmaker got hold of technology and said, "I'm going to make a space movie that feels like this." Right. So you were you were saying about uh, Full Metal Jacket? I I, I I'm I, the reason I get so agitated with movies. I don't want to say like this because often there are outliers and often there are some that are even more so. It's just in, in cases where I get agitated with a movie along these lines or this exact feeling that I have, it has to do with. But why didn't they just do this? And it's not that I don't like to be challenged because a lot of my favorite movies are deeply challenging movies that everyone hates. It, it's that I, I don't understand Stanley Kubrick at all. And it's not that I can't understand the words or when you put it on paper and you go, here's what he's doing, man, lol. Here you go, man, take this. I get that. But I don't understand why he chose to do that as opposed to anything else. Uh, and uh, that will never be an answer I have, and I, I can't ever reconcile it. And it just makes me grind my gears trying to figure out what's going on here that I'm missing because I don't connect to this in a way that a lot of people seem to, and I, I wish I did. And I, think I can't put it into words. I can't figure out what it is. I think it goes back to what we were talking about before. Kubrick is not so much about the story, although he is trying to tell a story, and he does tell a story here. But it's about the experience, the visceral quality of it. And, I mean, obviously I'm too young to have seen this in the theater, but just... Not too, sh- not too long after I moved out here in the first place, I was fortunate enough they were playing uh, the 70mm print of this at the Egyptian. And even this has been my favorite movie for years, and I haven't seen it on a screen larger than this you know, in all that time. I was able to go down and watch 2001 in the Egyptian you know, spread out before me the way it was really meant to be. And That is a badass matte painting. It is. It, is. it really, really it is. is. And it's an in-camera, of course. It's a glass shot. So that's a set, but then that's a glass shot. Notice how they don't cross. Right. And the, uh, the pit is actually 60 feet across by 120 uh, deep by 60 feet down. Yeah. That's the whole set. That's a big set. It's a, that's a huge set. And here comes one of my favorite shots of all time coming up. It's going to be the reverse when they when they all get uh, get collected. But... Well, the, in order to get this experience properly, the way Kubrick meant it, and its most deeply affecting way, you have to see it in the theater at 70 millimeters stretched I, I across your eyesight. I can't watch it on an iPhone. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, it is definitely not an iPhone movie. I, I understand. There it is. Look at that. That is absolutely gorgeous. It's very cool. I, I, you guys, I'm totally with you on this. I'm as much of a nerd for the vistas of Mars and of, of the moon as anyone could be. Just like, that is freaking awesome. But... That's what pictures are for, for me. I, I, I separate myself from the experience of this just by the nature of, I feel like we could have handled this in a different way. But and, that, and that's not right or wrong. It's just my, my I always feel like this, this like, thing with Kubrick. I think, well, Kubrick, Kubrick, I think, is the great definition of art is whatever you can get away with. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's like, you know, I, I have so much more respect for an artist who says, I poop on a canvas and then I rub myself around on it and jackasses pay me five million. I do too. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Then like, well, here's what I was going for with my art. I was, but, but if you don't understand, then it's your problem because it's, it's actually very clear and it's important that you understand. Um, and there are filmmakers that come from both stripes. And, you know, I think Kub- you know, Kubrick was just very much a, I made a thing. I'm going to go home and maybe later I'll read if you liked it or not, you know. And, and the fact that he was able to be that guy and for whatever reason – he was able to have a career. I say God bless him. And there, you know, and there are other. Bertolucci is another guy who um, Bertolucci. You know, I, there's not a single Bertolucci film ever made that I 
like, you know, and I haven't seen all of them. I've seen like two or three enough for me to go, fuck that guy. But, um, <laughs> but I went to see Bertolucci talk at one of his movies years ago. And, uh, you know, he came to present one of his movies. It was uh, um, uh, the one with Jill Clayburg when she was an opera, she played an opera singer. Um, it wasn't called Aria or something like that. It was but, The Matrix. Yeah, The Matrix. Um, and I watched this, you know, 90 million year long Italian something or other about, I don't know, some kid growing up and God knows. And, it, and it's like, oh, the last thing in the world I want to hear is this guy talk about it afterwards. This is going to be excruciating. And this charming Italian fellow gets up and he was like Roberto Benigni and, and, and the audience which was all film students the audience all said and hats yes they all you know and smoking pipes and you know virtually and, and everyone brought their A game as far as I'm going to ask a question of the great Bertolucci and, and boy they had their film school questions and they were like so in the scene with the boy at the beach house were you trying to imply that there's a reverse edible complex because I noticed that on the left side of the frame and I'm like embarrassed for my own species here in these questions. And they would ask this question and Bertolucci would absorb the question. He would go, I don't know. It could be. I mean, actually what happened was that day the, the sun was very bright. So I said to the camera, let's go from this side. And the boy, he came in the wrong side. So I don't know. But that's interesting what you said. And and so, so I was like, wait a moment. <laughs> I think I like Bertolucci after all. And uh, uh, you know, here we go. Yeah, yeah. This, this is where they hear the. There's the signal being. And the signal because they're going to we're going to have the shot. And I and I, I skipped what what is another uh, an important what I think is a very important point is is just before that, um, you know these guys came to the moon where there's an alien artifact and this amazing thing and they're coming to study it and what's the first thing they do? They get their picture they taken. They get a picture, picture of themselves taken. in Absolutely. front of it. Like they're, like a, they're at Disneyland. That's a statement about what humans are. What they're yeah. valuing as importance. Yeah. And so, they, they, well, it's the, <clears throat> it's the idea that there is no sense of awe. There's no sense yeah. of what is awesome anymore. And because they're flying, they're flying into space yeah. and he's watching a TV show and, and they fly I, to the moon and they're watching a TV show they're more worried about the sandwiches and, and, and the food and, and, and the fact that they're with, traveling in space and parallel with that the idea that we haven't even like stopped to think like maybe maybe we're still just you know apes playing with bones to somebody else right you know that maybe there's something bigger than us still out there it's like no we rule we're in charge of everything you know <laughs> we, we, we we've got to figure it out we got and we're good to go right uh, but which goes back to the mundane thing is that once again going off on, on your thing is that to to the alien intelligence, we are mundane, and this is all we can do when we have the technology. We've taken the bones, and this is what we do, and we, we don't – we're going to the moon. All right. Oh, but look at them. The they figured out how to spin their spaceships. Isn't that adorable? Yeah, that's like, I'm great. glad they got there at least. So the discovery, of course, is just so damn iconic. You know, it's just one of the great – you know. People, people can. People will usually recognize like people who don't love hate never saw two thousand and one. They know Discovery. They that, Discovery. I remember this shot in particular, seeing that in stretched across my entire vision yeah. and, mm-hmm. at the Egyptian for the first time. And what's great yeah. about Discovery it was, is it, it's another. It's another of those ships that you know it doesn't. It looks cool, but it makes sense. It works. Right. It right. is. It is really what you might have. Now here know? they did this shot by having the cameraman I think it was in a in a gimbaled uh, some kind of contraption and right. literally the whole set is yeah, rotating so he's up So literally this is, is this is a big cylinder, and the, the cylinder set is actually rotating, and he's, he's up, actually running around like it's a giant hamster wheel. And he's wheel. up at the top, and the camera's okay. All right, I've got to get this shot, and he's yep. moving and, around. And what's great is, is um, 
even is, better is a shot coming up. Is yeah, when 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 Lockwood, this is Gary Lockwood. When Lockwood finishes his workout, he's sitting at that table having having his meal. When Care Delay walks all the way around, Lockwood is strapped to that chair. Here we go yeah, in this shot. Like, this is great. And this is where the you know, it was a tough shot to get. And and Brian De Palma did a not as impressive but credible attempt to redo this uh, kind of idea in Mission, Mission to Mars, Mars which, yeah. they, which was smaller a smaller. Uh, uh, tube a smaller thing but uh, but but a nice set anyway well here's another uh physics nitpick of this while the, while the space hotel is large enough that that makes sense as a spinning uh spaceship the the sphere of discovery is not large enough for a spinning spacecraft to work to create artificial gravity that way it has to be a certain minimum diameter Otherwise, the gravity is going to be different enough, stronger enough at yeah. your feet than at your yeah, head, yeah. that your body will be able to tell that gravity at the top of my body is weaker yeah. than at the bottom, yeah. which will freak your brain yeah, the crap your, out. Your inner yeah. ear will have a certain weight, but, exactly. your, but your feet aren't feeling that same weight. So spaceships, yeah, sure. if they're going so the spinning, yeah. they have to be a certain uh, yeah. size so that your brain doesn't So here's the shot. Look, Lockwood is yeah. currently upside down, over upside, you know pantomiming having breakfast over there yep. and now delay is kiss care delay entering now care is going to care Dulia, i believe it is uh, canadian how would you pronounce it canadian i whatever, 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 whatever i think said. i think it's Dulia. i i could be wrong i thought but it was delay but it's okay he was, on, he was on the star loss that's all i remember yeah there you star go loss. i've yeah. always heard delay well he was also on star trek the first the second pilot of star trek no, that's Lockwood. That's Lockwood. Oh, that's Lockwood. You're right. Yes. That's Lockwood. With Sally Kellerman. Which is, uh, yeah, so Lockwood is also notable because he, it's, it's actually, that's actually the original pilot. That's the pilot for Star Trek. Um, no, no, no. no. Uh, it was the second. It was, no. it was the second pilot with Oh, you're right. Shatner. No, you're right. Sorry, right. pardon me. Menagerie yeah. is the first pilot. Right. right. Where No Man's with Gone Jeffrey before. With Jeffrey Hunter. Yeah. Where No Man Has Gone Before. He's the, he's the bad guy in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Anyway, so Lockwood was just hanging upside down there until they rotated the set around for, for Delay to come uh, join that's him. That's pretty high yeah. up to be upside down. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a 60, now. Here's, and here's a foot diameter here's a fun frame. thing that someone pointed out. Notice that um, notice that uh, Lockwood's meal. He's got he's got brown. He's got green. He's got a white thing going on there. Um, remember that for one sec. Um, and the fact that look, they've got the they've got this pad. Basically, they've got the iPad. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> which they've uh, which they've established, and, and they do it. You know, they do a nice job where these guys carry this pad around and kind of casually throw it down. And then, of course, at the time, they had to bury an entire television behind it to get it to work. But they've, uh, but they've, you know, they've so they've got these pads that are just look like they're haphazardly thrown on the table, but that's actually a very complicated rig that they've they've put together to to make that work. Oh, I thought that was in the table. Wow. No, it's their little iPads they carry around. Mm. But um, I learned something new about yeah. this film. But uh, but this is this seriously is, iPad. Yeah, but this forty is years ago. Hal, yeah. I love Hal. And here's Hal. We'll talk about Hal in a sec. But the point I'm making is look when look uh, look at Delay's meal when you when you uh, when you see Delay uh, eating. So they're watching this news broadcast about and, themselves. Right. Look, he's he's all Mr. Earth Tone. <laughs> he's he's all about the Earth Tone, and he's even arranged a pleasing little palette there for himself. And so. it's interesting how they've layered basically two levels of the film. I mean, basically they're explaining what they're doing, or yeah. the official story, yeah. and then you see the mundanity of what it's, they're doing. It's a on clever, this trip. it's an as yeah. you know, except buried, you know, so it doesn't feel like an as you know. Right. It's uh, you know because these two guys would not sit here having breakfast, going, so what's our mission again exactly? Remind oh, let me. Yeah. So, Gary, what what are we doing out what, here again? What are we doing out here, Philip? I don't know, Terrence. So, you know, and then so, they can point out the pods with the geni- other three it, scientists. It's a yeah. genius, as you know, buried in the fact that it's an interview in which they are compelled to explain what they're doing. And, and, the, te- again, it, and the technology looks great. Still looks still looks dead on. Awesome. 
it still looks great. It looks like the future. Yeah. When's that, it going to come? I yeah. want it. When, when, when does this happen? We have it. There it is. There it's it is. The I- right there. Except that says IBM. Yeah. Which, oh, damn it. Yeah. yeah. Kubrick, yeah. you screwed that one up. Ah, boy. At least IBM's still around. Well, you heard yeah. the story about the name of, of Hal, how some people think the name of yeah, Hal is just yeah. the letters of IBM shifted over by one it's letter. The, yeah, it's off by one letter. Which uh, Kubrick denied. Up yeah, and he, down. Said, he said, this is, yo, that's just letters. It's coincidence. Yeah. Now, Hal. Um, Hal is both a wonderful, terrible thing for movie history because because I, I think Hal is great, and of course uh, you know he's is again iconic as all hell or all Hal, you might say. Uh, uh, you know that red eye is just people still people still even people who I think don't even know what two thousand and one is still I think know the significance to that big red eye. Um, that, that just means omniscient Uber computer that will probably kill you. I know Hal. I didn't know the discovery. Yeah, so there you go. Um, but Hal also, and Hal makes sense for when this movie's made. Hal, this movie was made in 19, made in 66, 67, released in 68. Um, and Hal, of course, he's the Hal 9000. Um, Hal is a supercomputer um, because in those days, that's how Does you did it. Does he control every function on the ship? He controls the whole ship. He um, is the mainframe. Yeah, he's the mainframe um, because in 1967, I, you know, that's what a computer was. It, you know, it, fa- it, it sat in a room. And it was a colossal thing, and you you made it you made it as smart as you could, so it could do as much as it possibly could. And what's great about this is that right now they're interviewing Hal, and all you do is you see that red eye, and it's immobile. But I mean, Douglas Green brings it to life, and then you yeah. see Hal's point of view. And this is how I see the astronauts, your puny little things. Yeah, they're yeah, with this incredible fisheye angle lens going on. The problem with Hal is because he, you know, created such an indelible mark in movie history is to this day, in fact, I was reading about something going into production yesterday. People where, do that shit. Where, goddamn, if people don't have, like, every ship has a computer and how people can, you know, live in a world where, you know. There are six computers in this room right now. Yeah, I'm making. More than that. Yeah. and, and Well, six computer computers plus all the electronics. And not, not touching each other. And, 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 we learned, and we learned 40 years ago that you can't make a computer so huge that it knows everything that, you know, to the point where it can run a spaceship and have a conversation with humans. And, and even if you could do it, there's no point to it, you know, because what happens if, say, like in 2001, it breaks down. Wouldn't you like to have a second computer just in case your computer goes down? Well, of course, that's, you know, we learned that lesson 40 years ago in every facet of life, except in movies, that we don't have a computer for anything anymore. We have computers. We have them in our homes. We live with them every day. And yet somehow, when it's time to make a spaceship, we only give it one computer. Um, which is, just makes no damn sense. It's just the laziest, laziest screenwriting to give your spaceship a computer. Well, it's to, as a storytelling device, it's to anthropomorphize the well, ship or whatever. Well, the thing is, it, it just that, becomes, well, a, it well, just that, becomes that, a lazy device. You would have a computer that is the computer that talks to the people. It's a, right. Yeah. Then you would have the computer that... to the other... Co- yeah. yeah. Right. Then you would have the computer that controls the sewage system. And then you would have the computer that controls the oxygen plant. And so on. I say, you know, yeah, I mean, again, mother's a very good example. Then alien. Yeah, mother, yeah, at least. But mother, obviously, her, one of her functions is not particularly to talk nicely to humans. She's not particularly <laughs> built for that. Um, she's very user unfriendly. So anyway, she's so like, he, she's like Portal. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So here's here's this scene which 
if we were calling this a standard movie-making hero's journey, we would go, this scene is unnecessary. Because it really is. This scene is about nothing. But considering that's half of what Kubrick's movie is about, is about how all of us humans have you know, used this incredible universe of wonderment and technology to do nothing of interest with, um, that's the message of the scene. So here's this really kind of painfully, painfully embarrassing you know, scene in which these, these, this family uses interstellar communication to talk about birthday cakes and, and cars. I can kind of see the, the symmetry of that now, now that you yeah. put it that way, where it's most movies will show you what you are not doing. This movie shows you what you are. Yeah, it's true. It's as it's Pat Oswalt has. You know, it's like, we have an iPhone. You, know, you, you have an you know, iPod mini. You have a thing the size of a stack of quarters that can play every song ever written by mankind. It's a miracle. And no one cares. You know, that's the world we live in. It's like, yeah, so. Well, seriously. <laughs> Halfway well, to Jupiter talking to my folks. Kind of bored. Right. About, yeah. But, but I think, I mean, I think in terms of story, it, it what it reveals is that it, it's, it's, the, it's the folly, it's the sin of not appreciating where yeah. they are. But then again, they have to live life and they can't be in awe every single second of their life. But he chooses to show those moments where, we, yeah, uh, well, okay, I'm on a spaceship and I'm doing what I'm doing. And Which granted, even if, I mean, even if, if you sent me, put me on a spaceship and sent me to Jupiter, I would be in awe a great yeah. deal of the time. But, but there would still be moments where I would be bored out of work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. I'd be bored I, out I, of my I don't want to yeah. spend, I'll, I'll say something and let Brian vouch for it and save you the 30 minutes that he had to experience. I get deeply excited at almost every little thing about the future. When the iPad came out, I almost had a panic attack. I got drunk and started talking about how it's Star Trek now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would not... That's true. I, I would spend every single second... It's like that scene in Firefly. I love that, that moment in Firefly. It's like, but psychic? That sounds like something out of science fiction. Yeah. We live on a spaceship, dear. So... Yeah. I love that moment <laughs> yeah. where it's just like... But you can... I, I, but I would be... I would be Zoe. I'd be... Dude, we live on a fucking spaceship. But the thing is, you can have those moments all day, every day today. Just the other day, we had we have a computer hooked up to our giant uh, TV screen. So we had iTunes up. And at the bottom, it tells you this is how much music you have. And it tells you in, like a, in days. days. And it was like 89 <laughs> point whatever days worth of music. Yeah. I was like, it took Jules Verne less time to go around the world than music you have. Yeah. You could give Jules Verne that playlist and he could circumvent the globe. And <laughs> never hear music. the same song. I once. went off on another mini tangent of the day where I... I was watching TV, and then I reached down and pressed the space bar to pause it. <laughs> the wireless keyboard space bar next to me. I just paused it and walked away. And I, I got almost to the bathroom before I went, whoa. I, every, uh, every time I get on an airplane, every time. Space bar. Well, every time I fly somewhere, I get in a giant metal tube with a bunch of fat ass Americans and all their crap, <laughs> and in a couple hours, I'm magically transported to the other side of a continent. Yeah, yeah. And I, I did that a, a little over a year ago to see a black president get inaugurated. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap! It's been people. a big decade. It, it, it is the future. Well, I mean, yeah. if you look at Catch Me If You Can, they definitely tried to capture that time. Yeah. And the whole the transition. Field. I mean, there was definitely during this time there was a deep appreciation or just a fascination with the future, and I think in, to some. Makes sense. I mean, that's changed all the way through, and here we're on the yeah, far side of it. You know, yeah, we, we got that's there, and was yeah. like, well, it wasn't all great, right? right? Well, yeah, but that's the whole thing that I have now, where I'm very. I'm, I, I, this may this may have something to do with who I am individually as a person, and just what in, what excites me. The parts of this movie that excite me, that's the same part of me, or it might, it, you know, it might be just a, a a vague statement about now. But I get deeply excited about all these new things that are coming out right now, like in all of our lifetimes. We're all alive right now and talking about it. Things have changed that much, yet. My generation might be the last to be deeply amazed by the this rudimentary connecting of everyone on the fucking planet. 
like next time we have a new breed of people going through their whole 10 years of school, they'll have they'll have had that the whole time. I was alive the day I got a phone with a all the knowledge in the human universe button. <laughs> and it's called a web browser. Yeah. yeah. But but my nephew who already at 4, like we were talking about before the recording started, my nephew at 4 and something already has his own iPhone, already has his own access to the sum total of human knowledge, and will never think that is weird or be amazed by the novelty of and that. I, all, for the rest of my life, till the day I die, I'll still be like... We're going to be telling our grandkids. I know the Dewey Decimal System, motherfucker. Yeah. the There's an interesting... I, I was reading in a, an essay just the other day, which is something I hadn't, hadn't really... Arti- hadn't done in a while. Hadn't, yeah, no, I, I, I've done that all the time. It articulated something that I hadn't really, I, I sort of was feeling, but hadn't articulated, you know, enough the way this, this article did, where it talks about how, you know, that the, the, as time, as the time progresses and this, this world becomes more, you know, the way it is, I'm, I'm certainly seeing this now that it was, it was ascribed. People are losing the joy and, or, you know, sometimes frustration, but the importance at times of not knowing something and, you know, some bit of information and, and being, having to spend time wanting a piece of information and not having access to it. Um, cause that's like a fundamental drive of, you know, it's like, well, I remember most of my childhood. That's what, <laughs> that's what, that's how I spent my time wanting to know things and not being able to find them out. Um, I wonder how you make movies. I wonder who people are who make I movies. I should go on some kind of journey to figure that yes, out. Yes, I wonder. I guess I'll need to physically walk down the street to the library and hope they have some of the information that I need. Badass little Death Star graphic there. Actually, and, and this is an, a plot point that comes up where Hal starts talking about the, uh, I think it's the, the some, some piece component in the satellite that may be faulty and they have to go check it. Yeah. Right. This is, so this is an important plot point where Hal essentially is telling them, hey guys, I think this piece on the radar dish is going to break in a couple hours so go fix so it so there's a couple hours good luck so go fix it essentially yeah, yeah. I, like and, how they, I like so, gives them a couple hours and that like yeah next week well he gives them a, next year whatever the, apart. whatever the time period is is another, another nice little uh, uh oh yeah oh, head, head fake of a scene yeah um, nice little use now now the the mundanity there also there is something else going on um kubrick um unlike um unlike uh you know himself normally um he, you know, he is giving. It's it's also character development because th- there's a there's a demonstration here of the difference between these two guys, um, who are the only humans actively on the ship. Lockwood is just it's a job. Lock, you know, Lockwood is the guy who's like, yeah, whatever. You know, folks are calling. Yeah, all right, fine. Um, he's just he's there to drive the ship and get it where it's going and get home again. Delay is the one who sketches. He's the one who and you know it's who it's, plays it's, chess. It's, it's yeah who plays chess. It's deliberate. He's the one who arranges his meal in a pleasing palette of color. I mean that actually is is intentional. Um he's the one who when the awe is presented to him is able to get it. appreciate it. And you know there, actually there's very something interesting we're talking about awe in in this whole deal. I mean if you watch this, I mean practically every sequence has just this thing that makes you go and look Wow. What I mean, even though I'm looking at this looking at? 40 plus years later, I yeah. know how they did it. Yeah. And this is still amazing to look yeah. at. And, and it's, it's just this building of just. And you have to think about it because awesome what, what that was, was the foreground rotated until they got to the hub and then the background rotated. The foreground froze and the background started rotating. You know, it's. it's it must have been a ramp because it wouldn't have done that seamlessly. And it no, seems it, seamless. It was, it you, was you, seamless. You can, you can, well, no, really? it's not seamless. If, not. You, if you're looking for the moment, you can spot it. Okay. And it's kind of quick. Yeah. But. You know. Related to what you were just saying, Trey, Dorkman, I don't remember where he got this piece of the iconic image. It, it might have been yeah. an... Ooh, that's cool looking. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wait, I once like once again, it, and and just I'm looping back just briefly. We're talking about the mundanity of it. It's the mundanity of the tasks, but it's the awe in how it's presented. So the whole visual sucks you in in seeing just the normal task of what they're doing. And, because, the, the, and that's what reveals the awe of the whole the experience. pods. The, the pods were just the most awesomest thing ever. And these things, one of these shows up in the in Wado's junkyard in the Phantom Menace, <laughs> as, if to, as if to say, <laughs> nice. as if to say, hey, I, I know what sci-fi movies are. I know things about science fiction, yeah. guys. I know well, stuff. you know, on that level, if you if you guys are going to allow him to do that, uh, how is that different? And don't laugh from Lucas saying, "I want to make a sci-fi movie about the dispute of outlying tax routes." Because that Phantom Menace isn't about that. Yeah, F- Phantom Menace was supposed to be an action adventure movie. It just yeah. ended up being two thousand and one for for kids. All right. Anyway, Dorkman's yeah. thing yeah. was that. Um, no, that was a stupid point. Dorkman's thing was. Um, for a long time, for like the last maybe 80 or 100 years, before that, no, but in the last 100 years, there's been about one world-changing thing per generation. The frequency was pretty solid. In the last generation or two, we've had a increasing number of world-changing events per generation. So people are getting numbed. There's, there, people are more adaptive now on a level that weirds out previous generations. People are gonna. People who are growing up now and will grow up in the future will be so used to world-changing events that it won't affect them the same way. Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the definitions of the industrial age. Is this idea that before the industrial age, a person would be born, live, and die, and see maybe one major difference in their generational lifetime, and that's how fast like, change like progressed. Electricity or the printing what, press. Yeah. Like the printing press came along during one generation and that was it for a while. Yeah. But with the industrial age, technology finally hit this cumulative point where for the first time in human history, multiple things came within a single person's lifetime. So at the beginning then and it has only gotten progressively more condensed as time has gone on, people see more and more fundamental changes to our society and our technology and our our the way we view and do things in the world as time has gone on. Uh, you know, from our parents' generation, it's, you know, the mo- there's the moon travel and there's, uh, you know, pro- propeller from jets. And for just for us, <laughs> just for us, it's like the internet and, and cell phones. and So cute the way you said my parents' generation is if one of them isn't in the room with you right now. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was going to say, propeller to jets, that's huh. wacky, what? Um, I was, you know, Go ahead, go you know, or uh, the assembly line, you know, as a, and uh, prefabrication or anything like that. But yeah, I was going to say, like right. electricity, like you know, like or indoor or, plumbing. Yeah, yeah. You know, living in London, like when they went from yeah, what, gas what to was electric. It like before we had indoor plumbing, guys. Outhouse. It's about the same. Well, it just smelled bad. Um, no, my 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 mother's parents had an outhouse in, yeah. in Atlantic yeah. City way back in the day. Like for example, like for me, the you know. Propeller planes. I was. I was. You know, propeller planes to jet planes. I was aware. I remember my parents having a conversation about. Yeah, it just it just like it takes off like right away. It just doesn't go halfway down the runway. It just immediately. It just takes off and it goes really. You know, they were, they were amazed. Um, you know, I first plane I ever flew on was a jet. Later, you know, later I flew on a prop plane. I'm right. like, oh, this is what it used to be like. Okay, but uh, you know, the th- one of the things oh, just to cool. just to give it an interesting yeah. cultural perspective is one of the things to this day that still freaks me out, and I haven't had personal experience with it directly, but. Because it was so mind-boggling when I was a kid, when it became a thing, I'm still boggled by the concept, even though it's practically commonplace. But the concept of taking organs from one person and making them work in another person Mm. still freaks me the hell out. Even though one of my best friends is on his 
thirteenth year of having had a heart transplant. You know, um, you know, it's like the fact that you could take the heart out of a person and put it in somebody else. Are you shitting me? That still that still freaks me out because that was a radically crazy thing that they were starting to do when I was a kid. Sarah's just going apeshit over here, wanting to make points, and we're talking about yeah. Well, uh, because because this whole part the, of the, the movie will give you time to, to get your points in. Go ahead. I mean, I mean, the whole part of the sequence and starting with it where they showed, I mean, the discovery in the background. You saw those two asteroids just kind of glide by, nearly hit the camera. Is I, I think this was, I mean, this was for me at least in my lifetime the first thing that communicated the vastness, but also the the emptiness and. The, Isolated, isolated nature of space, yeah. which is the fascination. The thing is, there was nothing. Well, a shot from in Titanic, the shot you know when it's sinking and then he cuts back to very hard, right. yeah, far they're, back. They're, they're launching a little signal flare, and it's like tiny beep, little beep. ship out in the middle of nowhere. And here you yeah. are in the middle of, I mean, yeah, space. Talk about nowhere. Nothing. And here they are. They've got their ship, and he's out there in the middle of nowhere, and he's going to go. It's a nice little cheap effect. The the polarizing of the visor is uh, you know small but effective. Little git, mm-hmm. so. nice. And Wait, look at that. I, just, do that. Huh? I think it's a lighting trick uh, with a computer. Yeah, they did it with computers. CGI. One big computer. <laughs> Is it like a rear projection <laughs> face on the inside of the mask, and they're just turning it off? No, they just turn the lights off on him. Yeah, and hmm. it's crazy. I know. Well, it's interesting. Um, that although he's, he's not been, catching any light from the could outside. have been a, could have been a polarizing. They could do maybe a polarizing trick. If you had a polarizing filter and you had polarized glass and you just rotated it, it you now know, maybe that would do that, it. That that tra- would cool. Now this was this is pre green screen, so how did they? they no, there was green screen, but you know you could tell when you see green screen. You know how right. they do the the moving background over there. Yeah, um, is that matte? It's probably a matte. Yeah, it's cause if he if he never crosses it, or even if he does, I mean he's, he's all hard surfaced. Um, it could be projected. Yeah. There's no hair really. Yeah. To- to try to comp around. It'd be a hard mat, but uh, it looks pretty clean. So I'm imagining it's probably a projection or it might even just be a, a background. You know, it could be a white, you know, a, a, a black cloth with some white dots on it. I, it I'm sure the book covers it. Um, the, the making of pictures, I remember, are, are usually in a black soundstage mm-hmm. um, with whatever they're using as a star field. But actually, in real life, you would not be able to see the stars moving at all just because the difference in perspective is so great that it wouldn't appear as if there's any motion. Yeah. Unless they're rotating. But, right. But, yeah. I mean... It, it, well, yeah, it, but he's it, not it on is, a rotating section right. of the ship It right is, now. It is well, interestingly effective. Though that's the one thing that when Star Wars came out that really changed things is, is the way they used the, star, the stars essentially as a background to give you a sense of motion through space, which we've yeah. never seen before. Right. Really. As effectively, too. And here we're back in the ship. and they're So, it's, yeah. Plot-wise, at this point, that he's gone... badass. That yellow one. This one looks cool, too, because like, mm-hmm. I understand that it's impossible to do that. But the other one was just a cool look. Yeah. See. At this point, they've Halla said, go check out this piece of equipment. It's going to fail. They bring it in. They test it and go, uh, no, it's yeah, not. It's nothing wrong <laughs> with it. <laughs> They're about to talk to Mission Control and say, uh, we think Hal might have made a mistake. And that and scares and the and crap out gonna, of that's us. That's going to be a bomb going right. off. Yeah. Yeah. And I like it. It's, it's he his did fish a, eye. He did a what? And you get the nice big close up of Hal, and it's always Hal's yeah. always in the picture, and he's, he's always you. there. Yeah. I'm watching right you. There's no high. Yeah, are there, yeah, mul- the are there lens, multiple the eyes? Yeah, yeah, yeah around the ship. That's how he sees. Okay, and, and, cool. and you'll so notice so there's not just one central red thing. Right. No, no, he's, he's all over. Look okay. at the if you notice the front of the pods have Hal eyes on them. Hal Hal sees out of the pods. He's, he sees through the pods when the pods are in motion. But there's no Hal in the bathroom. Right? He, but he, well, we don't know. I don't think. Well, I think we see a bathroom in this movie. Just the exterior of the one. Just that one. That, but <laughs> but he's not in the pods. Yeah, that's but, the thing. but Hal is the ship. You know, he's he's everything. I remember reading that Kubrick. Uh, Hired, I think. I think the actors. I mean, it's slightly for their for their slight for their 
dull, you know, they're, it's likely flat they're bland, aspect. Their blandness. Yeah. 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 yeah they're this just is, truck drivers, you know. Yeah. Slightly more educated than, you know. It's a, it's a popular uh, thing in acting to say, I don't want you to do anything. Just, you know, don't do anything. Don't try. Don't try to act. Just be. Or, and I can imagine that being ten times more difficult in this movie because you're being asked to do so little. Dude, just, just chill. Yeah, just sit there and lean. Just sit by the computer and the giant thing. And just hang out. But is, there, is really Stanley? But on the, on the, plus, to do this? But on the plus side, they, you know, these guys don't have to handle nuclear physicist faux dialogue. I mean, everything, right. the other conversations are very straightforward. Like, right. well, I think he's having a little problem, don't you? Yeah, I think he is. And, and you know, they're being concerned about that. But, uh, you know. Because there's no need to talk about his tertiary algorithmic <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> uh, functional algorithms. You don't know, you know? how that stuff it's works. Like, no, anyway. I think uh, you might be breaking down. Well, that conveys all the information you need. And the thing that, and again, it's you know, it's it's Kubrick's you know, crazy choice the way he he chose to make his movies. But you know, the 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 answer and the explanation of everything. There is an answer and there is an explanation to everything that goes on. They just don't give it to you during the movie. Um, yeah. in, in fact, they don't explain what the hell's going on with Hal until the sequel <laughs> that, that somebody else made twenty years later. <coughs> so wait, um, what do they say in twenty ten? In 2010, they explain the, the overall problem is, is, is what happened to Hal um, is that these two guys, they're there to maintain the ship on the way to Jupiter. They don't know what the mission is. They have no idea. They don't know about the monolith. They don't know any of that stuff. They're, they're just – they're driving the truck. The sleeping guys know. When they wake those sleeping guys up, they're the ones who know what the mission is. So they can do the mission to try and figure out this, the, you know, where the, the monolith signal was going. That's what the mission is about. These guys don't know that. Hal knows what the mission is about, of course. But Hal can't tell them. Wait, what's the point of the mission again? Is to figure out where that signal from the monolith. The monolith, the monolith sent a signal to Jupiter. They're tracing where that signal went and why. Why you know what? What was it trying to contact? Okay. Does the audience know that at this point? No. Nobody knows that. No. Like okay. I said, unless you read the novel, right? Or so, watch, so, yeah, right. watch twenty ten. Well, I think Haywood Floyd later maybe reveals that. Wait, do we ever there, know? Well, do we ever know there's a third monolith uh, in this movie? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's there's well, it, it's not Floyd. It's a military officer. I think when he finally kills Hal, when he deactivates Hal, that's when that mission brief plays and it explains briefly it sent a signal to jupiter and they were sending discovery to try and figure out what it was trying to communicate right. with and that's when care delay finally finds out what the mission was all about right. but the the point was the point i was making though is that hal knows what the mission is about but he's been ordered not to tell them and they just don't know that it's a problem of hal's makeup that that makes him insane he can't know something and conceal it his job is to disseminate information and interface with the humans and it's making hal insane that they've told him not to tell the humans something so oh i don't do they, I, was, I was with you until you said that that seems like a weird choice no, I, see, I, I feel like it should I, just be I've read the it. humans are being idiots thinking i deserve to live I and, and their, their whole thing was just no you you kept the you kept us going in the right direction now you're we're done i've read it differently that it's the whole thing with the the breakdown in the equipment is how just making a mistake and Hal is not built to handle the fact that he could make oh, mistakes. He's getting, yeah, he's getting, so he, he's he's getting uh, paranoid about it. Yeah. yeah. But so the, he makes a mistake and he goes, oh, crap, I made a mistake. I, I can't do that. And then that proceeds to cause And he proceeds to, to snap. But, 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 that's beca- but, but the, at least what's posited in 2010, it's, uh, yeah. it's Dr. Chandra. When Dr. Chandra himself comes and repairs Hal, um, he, he places the blame on it. He says, Hal went, Hal, you made him nuts. You, you made him, you told him he had to lie. And that made him insane. Is Hal actually anthropomorphized or are they anthropomorphizing him? Here's the plan. 
payoff later. Yeah, a little, little setup there. Um, Does Al have a pers- or Hal have a personality, or is because I was going to say neither of those things are traits a computer would ever have. Well, that's well, a, that, well, that's he wouldn't go ape shit because he couldn't tell you something. Well, that's, he, the, he that's the old yeah. thinking that we're going to make computers and w- computers will get bigger and bigger and bigger and become sentient. Right. Um, now they might, as a network, become sort of sentient, and of course, then they'll kill us and make terminators. Yeah, but is Hal? But is he sentient? Is he? He's supposed to be, or he's, he's, okay. he's or he's simulating it. Um, right. he's, well, and then yeah, you get but into if he's a, simulating it, then that's not. Well, then you get into the deep philosophy of it. Yeah. Uh, then no, you get, you then get to you the point where it's like Hal could not go crazy because Hal is ones and zeros. Well, that's well, well, then, the, we're getting into the philosophical question of what is an approximation of yeah. human sentience and what is human sentience and what's the difference. And, and if you're getting into like a neural network situation, which is neural network, I don't you know, might have been theoretically. I mean, he's you know, Halas means heuristically programmed algorithmic computer, um, which which you know may, doesn't really have anything to do with neural networks, but but. You know, the experimentation they've done with neural networks is freaky because neural networks are like brains. So, you know, that's our brains are neural networks. Um, and and you you can build a neural network. And, of course, it, it has to have more connection points. The more connection points it has, the, the more smarter it's it going it to be. We, we're nowhere close to being able to build a neural net that has anywhere close to the number of points of an animal brain, even much less our brains or any brain. I think we've gotten up to mice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we can be as smart as a mouse. Um Right. Now, what you do with the neural net, though, is I you can sort of... a cat, actually. Yeah, you can... They might have gotten a cat by this point. Maybe they're yeah. up to cat. Depends. Did it, the cat brain eat the mouse brain? It, as, as we all know... Well, they gave them spider legs, and then they just yeah. ran out of the lab, and yeah. nobody's been back since. As I saw, yeah. And this is, it's, it'll end badly. As we, as we all know, the, the, the intelligence of a cat brain is highly dependent on which cat we're talking about. But, <laughs> but the, oh, um, where's Tesla? Yeah, where is it? But anyway, um, but when you... Weird thing about neural nets is, yeah, neural nets will literally learn. I mean, you can literally say, I want you to point your t- tracking device at that white dot on the, you know, you can kind of give it that instruction, and then it'll just kind of flail until it does it. And then it goes, okay, I learned how to do it. You, d- you don't know how it knows, but you gave it the tools but to it knows. but you gave it the tools to understand what the goal was and how to know when it hit the goal how it achieved it is up to it just like it's up to every human like you know i want you to go over there and give grandma a kiss you know we'll eventually learn to do that inside of our brains why are we doing it and what what do we think that process is really about i'm going to give grandma a kiss so she doesn't eat me <laughs> You know, might be what we're thinking, but it doesn't matter because all we know is we're giving grandma a kiss properly. So when you tell a neural net to do something, it might go, yes, absolutely, I am happy to do it so that the Christortians don't come to the fourth dimension of Creton and, and melt my brain. You know, you might, your computer might be insane, but as long as it's following instructions, you'll never know. Um, so if you give it the tools to do terrible things, then you might find out, gee, it was actually insane the whole time and just manifesting being normal. So and here we get a very direct visual piece of yeah. information. So. Hal is reading their lips. This is the yeah, point. Yeah. Actually, when I asked my dad, "Dad, what's going what's on? Going Shh. on? What's going yeah. on?" They're reading their. And I always wonder. It's never been spelled out. I wonder if the fact that that Hal always reads lips. You know, does Hal even listen to things? Does, does he have does he, audio? Yeah. In does case? he have a microphone? Intermission. Yeah. Does he maybe? I mean, wouldn't that be simpler? Because it's like he, they just put the eye up and he reads lips. You know, that's they don't have to have audio for Hal everywhere he goes. You know. Well, maybe it's not perfect, but in this particular instance, he was able to get enough information yeah. to. Make bad things I mean, happen. That's right, because they know they're going to do so. We're in the intermission bad. now. I wonder, I feel is like the intermission run in real time? <laughs> I guess it, uh, well, it probably, not, uh, probably not on a DVD. It just, no, I, that, I would imagine they yeah. cut. Does that mean that we are only halfway through the movie? No, no. No, it's a little bit more than we're halfway. a little right. beyond that, but, I, but I we're feel like more or less halfway through. I understand that Kubrick 
oh, I have something to say. And like knee jerk went straight to make a movie about it. It's cool to do the whole monolith thing. But I feel like I don't think knee jerk is the right no, description at all. I know, I'm just saying. That's an idea. In fact, that is an idea. And you can make a movie about that is what I mean. It's not knee jerk in the sense that, oh, I need a camera and the movie's done. Oh, shit, that was amazing. I need a cigarette. You know, he, he had the idea and decided to make a movie on that idea. I feel like the coolest idea in this movie and which predates what 30,000 sci-fi movies would be 30 years later is I'd rather see 2001 focusing on the guys and how it goes crazy and that's the movie. Lose the first hour and just have the movie be. This is a story about these two guys dealing with an insane supercomputer, and and you'd have all your vistas and you'd have all your pieces of information. I well, feel like that, that would be an action adventure movie of which. No, it wouldn't have to be an adventure. It wouldn't. No, not that's a- that's that's you're an MTV generation child, and you want you want right, things to happen. You want splody. I understand, you know, and I'm, that's and that's what 2010 was more like. Yeah. I, I would be interested to see 2010. It's not an action movie. This would be a psychological thriller, if anything, but it would be slow paced and slow. And well, that's fine. It would have the exact but same tone. That's not of this. what Kubrick wanted. Kubrick made this, and you didn't enjoy it. He's okay with that. No, I know right. that. I mean, I'm the, okay thing, with the that. thing here is that Hal, in a way, was was incidental to the whole thing. Hal was like the the fly in the ointment for the aliens. I know, but I feel like he sort of glossed over the coolest idea in the whole thing. He was more concerned no, about... I, f- I feel like you don't get what the coolest idea is. No, I <laughs> no, no, trust me. I'm right there with you. That might be because I've read the stuff that he hadn't read yet or seen the movies he hadn't seen yet. Right. Monomyth, or the, the whole, not mon- the monolithic, what, what is it? The thing, the big rock. Monolith. monolith. Is it monolith? Yeah. That's a really cool idea. I'm so there with that. The fact is, at this point, I'm used to that because I've seen it in a thousand other things, perhaps influenced by 2001. That's a fucking cool idea, but I'm really used to that. At this point, I'm also used to the insane supercomputer, but I feel like that is the more cinematic idea to display the, like d- the, the monolith is a book not a movie the difference is that kubrick is more concerned short about short story actually it's yeah, not even yeah. a whole book it's a short yeah. story the difference is that kubrick w- is more concerned about theme than plot if you were more concerned about plot then yeah we would start the story later and we would con- focus it more on the ship and the insane supercomputer and there goes the hey we're back. And we're back but because he's because he's more concerned about getting these ideas of theme across then we see then we get all of this. This pro- we see the apes at the dawn of man. We see the process and of this the mundanity, and we spend agitated about it. We spend forty-five minutes to an hour on the mundanity of what these people think about space travel, because that's crucial to the theme, while not necessarily crucial to the plot. Right. I guess what I, I don't understand and can't is the is the is the impact on. A, I can't viscerally understand the impact of this. All I can understand is that it's a an, an, an insanely pretty movie both in its effects and it's and it's just its basic camera camera work and the the visual aspect of it is amazing i i don't see this as a work of genius even kinda and that's partially for the same reason i don't understand why symphonies are the way they are like i can't i don't understand the yardstick a insanely talented composer goes through to create a symphony because i don't understand the logic at all my my analogy is going to be i i can't tell the best opera ever done from the worst right it's the same sort of thing where it's like i don't know what makes but somebody can there are people who appreciate it and can tell you know can tell the good ones from the bad ones but usually well but the and why is the part that you know once you understand that all of a sudden you can understand it on their level and no one's ever explained 2001 to me in a way where i went that's what he's doing, and now I truly appreciate it. They've only they've only explained it to me, and they have, and I go, I see that's what he's doing. Well, but that, doesn't, is, that doesn't make me enjoy it if, anymore. If Kubrick himself was in the room, he wouldn't explain either because he wasn't about you getting what he was doing. He was about doing it and going, what did you get? Well, yeah, and I would have nothing to say if you guys had said the only thing I loved about this that I was seven and the effects were amazing because that's a visceral experience that you had as a seven-year-old, but you're talking about the brilliance of the movie. 
it is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but, and, and here, actually, this is a really interesting turning point right now is because yeah. everything's this, been all this very, is, this is where, And this is where it turns malevolent. Yeah. This right is, there. It's also the closest, it's, other than the guy getting, other than the ape getting attacked by a, by a leopard an hour and a half ago, this is the only thing resembling an action scene in the whole movie. Right. And it's not, and they, and they cut away from it. But this thing um, is so freaky. That's, I mean, yeah. even now. But yeah, this is such an ominous thing, like, oh, and, and you immediately got, like, oh, and, and, and sure enough. Boom. Bum, bum, How drives it? Bum. That was five cuts, and he's yeah. dead. It's like, and then now, what? What just happened? Oh, you got it. You totally get yep. it. Yep. And there's, there's simply no greater situation of being fucked than <laughs> yeah. this. Yep. Yep. Well, he does get revived in three. Jubal early would agree. That's true. He's as dead as you get. And look at that. And 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 Hal just sends the pod screaming into space. Yeah. And the fact that you know they are now at least in this scene, you know, everything is ballistically rotating correctly. But then, uh, you know. Look at that. And, uh, I mean, it's amazing. This is 68 they did this. Yeah. Again, before we actually walked on the moon. Wow, that's a really wide lens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and actually, really part, and part of the point here, at least the way I read it, is to simulate the, 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 the Hal's state of mind. Because Hal looks through the fisheye lens. I guess I, I can see what you're saying there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everything here is And it's also to make a, a small set seem much, much bigger. Okay. All right. I was trying to make yeah, something. Yeah, I know. It's actually a well, very small set. That's that's the thing. I mean, there are philosophical film Bertolucci considera- Bertolucci considerate film student considerations to be had, and there's also practical considerations to be had. Right. Yep. Explosive bolts. I mean, they don't they don't exist mutually exclusively. Hmm. I wonder if that'll come up again. I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. Maybe not. Okay. Maybe. Now my question is: Why did Bowman go into the pod without the helmet? Because he was in a hurry. Oh, I hate when that happens. <laughs> it's it's, it's an oversight. Definitely an oversight. Because he's mundane. And now he's excited. Okay. Because it's the old thing in like movies. Whenever you're in combat, you don't put any helmets on the actors. You can see their face and exactly. their head. Yeah. This also is, um, you know, the, 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 it underscores, I always thought it underscored kind of, kind of nicely the, the, the whole idea of how slow everything is. I'm on a rescue mission. It's like <laughs> I'm almost out of the garage. <laughs> I'm really close. <laughs> if I move really quick, I might be able to catch him in another 10 to 15 minutes when he'll only have been dead for 20 by that point. Mm-hmm. Looks like the little guy from Inner Space. I think, I think the pod from Inner Space definitely owed a lot to, to 2001. It's the same sort of look. And the pod from Explorers, too, for that matter. Explorers, I think, was kind of making, trying to make a reference to 2001. With the, Any pod in movie history the world. So yeah, now there's now there's this excruciatingly long rescue sequence of very very slowly catching up to the body of uh, of Pool. Well, yeah, because Pool's moving at seventy thousand miles per hour, right? And he's moving at you know yeah, sixty five. So yeah. it's going to be a while, so. right? But once again, it's it's the whole the whole pace, the mundanity of the whole thing, what it takes to get something done. And he's not cutting ahead. He's just sticking with the whole thing. In fact, there's the, I mean, there's the shot coming up where we're, we're just, we're just looking out the window as, as the body gets closer, very slowly. And it just goes, there's a shot that lasts forever. You know, it's a, it's a shot that just like most of the shots in this movie, the pace of it, you would just never see in a movie made nowadays. You know, you just wouldn't see that. I mean, the great thing that would, I'll call it cure delay. You look at him and even with just what's not going on, you get the intensity of everything that's happening. And you have everything. Ref- of course, there's a whole thing of all the monitors reflected in his face. Very sexy. Oh. The, um, the, the real thing that made 2010 possible was the fact that however many years later, when did they make 2010? Late 80s? 
mid uh, actually early eighties. Early eighties. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that that Gear Delay hadn't aged. That he was able to you know come back and do more you know be be play a. a cameo as Dave Bowman and put the spacesuit on and look exactly the same as he did in this movie. Yeah. Um, considering that was now 25 more years ago, he, you know, he, probably, he probably looks a little older now. I'm probably got some great going now, on, but, yeah. at the very least. But at the time, it was kind of uncanny how it's like, holy shit, the guy, it, like he literally is some kind of strange creation. He's, he hasn't aged a day since 2001. Here's your shot. Yeah. There it is. It's like, going to hold on the, the spec that gets incrementally larger. Well, I mean, I, th- I think it's common also in how it's so he know. I mean, he's got to know that he's dead or at least something's terribly wrong. But still, he's he's going to get him. He can't just let him go. He has yeah, to hang point, on to the, to the other. He has to hang on. He's, well, I figure he can't let him go. And also because he just can't he can't actually be sure that he's dead. He maybe just maybe he just can't communicate. Maybe he's unconscious. Well, true. You know? Just check for sure. <clears throat> once he once he grabs him, then he's going to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, nope. yeah. he's dead. I think at the I always took it to mean as at this point he knows that he's dead, but it's that primal human instinct of yeah, I have yeah, to, I have no, to leave no man behind. I have yeah. to go get my either buddy way, exactly. give I mean, him a proper burial. Now, now a uh, little behind the scenes moment here. I mean, we're going to cut to an exterior of the pod and a stuntman on wires who clangs into the pod, but. Notice that it's a slow mo shot, and do the math in your head about how hard that guy is actually hitting the pod. When you see the actual contact moment, when the the stunt man smacks into the arms, I, lo- I like the starlight filter on the lines. Like, I got you, buddy. You're gonna be. He's gonna be okay. He'll be as right as rain in a moment. Everything's gonna, gonna be, be all right, man. You know, the interesting, gonna be all right. the interesting thing right. is just watching this. Uh, have, have any films come to reproducing this? No, this just, this look. Yeah, yeah. Get this. Oh, I'm I'm just spinning in space. In, and bear in mind, this is a slow motion shot, so he's he's spinning faster than that. And and owie! Yeah. <laughs> oh, ow! Uh-oh. Oh, wait! Ow! Damn it! <laughs> if I wasn't dead before, I am now. Yeah, that probably would have snapped his neck and right <laughs> into there. And oh, then you know. I, that's some I mean, good, that's I, a good pantomime on that stuntman's part. By I the love way. Ray Lovejoy's editing in this once again. It's just always cutting out at the right moment. I want to go for the cheap shot and go. There's editing. Yeah, oh, I was no. going to say editing. I don't know. It's like okay, uh, I'm going to take this roll of film and I'm going to splice it to the next roll of film, and uh, there we are. There's editing. So. Here's, now. So like, okay, I'm crazy now. You want you want to mess with me? This is what happens. Here's where Sarah, we. I'd be interested to hear uh, your hmm, the way you present the, the 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 genius of this movie and how you feel about it as because you're you're obviously very deeply moved by it. So I don't ever want to just outright you know be crass about the, the way that I don't feel the way you do. But I mm-hmm. want to know how how you what your relationship is with the brilliance of this movie. Like how how do you feel? It's it is genius. I, I, I'm basically asking you to. <laughs> Lay out its genius for me. Well, is it just the com- like the combination of all the choices at work? Well, I, I I think there's lots of things going on here. I think this this film, for me at least, was seminal in shaping my taste of film and what can be done with film and the, the sense of control and the sense of storytelling. And also, I mean, the fact, I mean, I'm watching it now, and I feel, it, it, this looks amazing. And I, it, somehow it just brings me back to, I mean, I'm not saying exactly my feelings as a, as a seven-year-old, but it still feels just as vital and visceral somehow. 
uh, in how it's there, there seems there's economy. It doesn't deviate at all. I, I I'm with the whole thing. I mean, back, I mean, I know the film now. The thing is, for a long time, you know, I, I didn't know what the story was. I, it was repeated viewings, and then once I got to understand the, understand that, I gained a deeper appreciation. And the interesting thing is, it's still always just really econo- economical storytelling. For me, it, it's enough. It just kind of hits all these little these little points in in, in how it, it tells me what it, it needs to tell me. I've absorbed the whole story before, and now I'm watching it again. It doesn't bore me in the least, and we don't even have the sound on it. That's the amazing thing. Yeah, we I, we've talked about before the the weirdness of how it's, it's interesting work. to compare one movie to another and go, wow! I bet you that's an easy yeah. movie to watch with the sound off. It's like no, right. that movie you can't. It, yeah. It's you can't watch that movie. There, with the there are off. very few movies that that need Watchmen their, their, dial, their yeah. dialogue less than two thousand and one. Watch, sure. Watchmen clocks in at over three hours, and you don't feel a moment of those three hours even with the sound off. Anyway, right? right. Uh, and, but 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 also, I, I think it, it's. I mean, for me, there's there's definitely an existential. Angle to this, and me being an existentialist uh, at heart, sure. It, it just it, it, it speaks to me. I mean, the whole vastness of space and the emptiness and loneliness. And here, I mean, here they're the, they're the tip of the spear. Here they've been thrown out. They don't know. They're like monkeys going into space, going towards Jupiter. They have no idea what they're doing, and they're just doing everything they can as as humans to try and manage to get to where they're going. Now, of course, this changes in the last act a bit, and that I don't know if I'm on board with some parts of the last act, but definitely some parts I am. Um, what do you think? It, what you said it, it economical, uh, economical storytelling, and it tells me what I need to know. What is it? What does the movie tell? What, what are the things that the audience needs to know that the, the movie conveys? Are they the, the like the symbology of it all? And I think the thematic symbolism. The th- yeah, the thematic qualities of it. That the, like what we've been talking about the isolationist and the mundanity. The look at what we as human beings look at what we as essentially hairless primates are capable of doing and the places we're capable of going and look also at how we're capable of not being impressed by that at all and how quickly we can become used to that and how and how we can always find a way to screw up and right. how we yeah and how we can screw it up but and, we and that, and that duality saying? we're yes, doing a lot of reading here that's definitely what he's saying <laughs> he, he, he speaks extensively in that book. Uh, Kubrick, Kubrick was never much. Did he ever do a commentary ever for anything? He, I don't think he ever did a commentary. No, so. He wasn't, he wasn't so. big on DVD. He certainly wasn't big on widescreen letterbox DVD. Um, in fact, he was refused to let his movies be released letterbox you know, um, during his lifetime. But um, or he was against it at all. But no, he talks. He talks about you know there, there is in that book. It, it, and and there's a very one of my favorite chapters as a kid in that book. I remember and I was just, I found it when I was flipping through um, this. A teen, I think he's a teenager um, named Margaret Stackhouse wrote him uh, back in the day before the internet we had to write letters to people and she wrote this multi-page letter saying here's what I think 2001 was about and Kubrick wrote back going you nailed it you know it was wow, like nice. she, she, she was like the one of all the letters of people going here's what I think this trippy movie's about did they this, publish her letter it's just all in there his, the, her yeah. letter and, and his response um and he just goes, yeah, yeah, pretty. It, it wasn't. He didn't. He actually didn't say you got it right. But he said that was the most insightful analysis of the movie I've seen. Now, here, um, what's what's interesting here is that up until now, it's all been about, in, in a sense, technology. It's been about learning how to how to use it and you know, using the bone, and then making the tools and getting out here. And now, this is the point where the technology has now turned against the humans. And 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 I think there's a lovely. Image, the, there's an image here of, of him, like literally, he's like, it's like he's holding a sacrifice. Like, no, please, may I come in? 
I bring sacrifice. And the moment every- that we just passed uh, with yeah. Kier this is the first time in this in this entire movie where we've seen really any emotion whatsoever. Yeah. He, he goes, yeah. He's like, uh oh, fuck. Because now, there's, now there's real conflict. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I mean, oh, well, you didn't see it with Hal. I'm you didn't screwed. see it, but how you saw with Hal is that you know what they did is they just cut into a super mega close up yeah. of Hal's eye. It's like, okay, I'm going to take yeah. care of you now. And but so he, now but it's, he's, it's he's him. Just, he's just fully realizing that, oh my fucking God, you know, it's like, Hal, Hal's not. incredibly screwed. Hal's not right. going to let me back in. Hal's nuts. Hal's freaking lost it. Right. And now I have to use. And the, the, the technology is. Well, he's not thinking that, but on that, the, the whole thing is the technology is against him. And he's got to use his tools, what he has. He has to give up essentially the last remnant of humanity, let Frank Poole go, and then somehow attack the technology that's, that's essentially. You know, kept him alive. Essentially, brought him out here into the in, into space where he could not survive without technology. That's the big difference. I mean, it's not like going on a ship across an ocean to to some land. I mean, you know, if you're on an ocean, you can get on a raft. Here, he's out in space. Well, a raft is it. a piece of technology as well. Well, it is. Oh, uh, but you could swim because we're not supposed to. Be, for a little we're not while. supposed to be on the ocean any more than we're supposed to be in space. You know, it's yeah. like the ocean right. is not our native environment. Either. I think a better analogy, a better comparison would be walking out into the middle of the plane somewhere. You could stand out there naked, and there'd be no technology, and you'd be okay. You just go because that's what we're built for. Yeah, Yeah. that's the only thing we're built for. We're not built, but we're not built to be in space. And technology is what allows us to be in space. Right. And and this just just is a great example of the frailty of of who we are as people. We depend on this, and it has to work in so many different ways just so we can survive. Right. I'm reading this book now, uh, or at least I'm scanning it and looking for what he was talking about, Mm -hmm. and. uh, There's a thing here that says, Kubrick has talked on three different occasions about the cuts in one, two, three. Just various examples. Number two, I made all the cuts in 2001 and at no one's request. I had not had an opportunity to see the film complete with music, sound effects, etc. until about a week before it opened. And it does take a few runnings to decide, finally, how long things should be. Asterisk, here we go. Especially scenes which do not have narrative advancement as their guideline. It's weird to hear him say that. So well, he's saying well, straight up like this has nothing to do with the story. As we said, he's, yeah. you know, he's, it's not I, what he's I, doing. I, I just never heard it from you know his yeah. mouth. No, we're not. We're not making up, it up. No he, narrative. We, we have studied Kubrick. We we uh, know that he was not trying to be you know Steven not Spielberg. Every, not every scene was about advancing the plot. Yeah. Every scene necessarily was about advancing the theme, but not the plot. Right. And uh, someone I, I forget who it was, but someone said that uh, you know Kubrick is was. He was a filmmaker, but he approached it like being a painter. I mean, it literally is just sort of, I'm going to create this, you know, instead of one image, like a painting, I'm going to create this series of images. Well, he's creating the environment, really, through a series of, of moving paintings, if you want. Yeah, but in terms, but again, yeah. it's back to the idea of, you know, it's, it's, he's not creating a, you know, not every movie ever made is the hero's journey or has to be. Um, there are other kinds of movies. It's just that most movies that get made that are mainstream are heroes' journeys because they're movies about heroes. Because as a species, mostly that's the story we want to hear. We want to hear about the guy who killed the dragon. And every you know, most every movie coming out of Hollywood is going to be about a guy who kills a dragon in one way or another, and therefore it's the hero's journey. But there are other kinds of movies, and there are other kinds of art, and there are other kinds of experiences. Um, there are different kinds of theater, and not everyone enjoys every kind of theater. Um, I'm not a big fan of opera, but I enjoy a good musical. Go figure, because they're almost the same. But, you know, this is a Kubrick film, and therefore it's not a, it's not a Michael Bay film, and it's not, a, it's, it's not even a Peter Hyams film. It's, a, it's one of these. It's interesting. And, well, I mean, the, the thing with Kubrick is that he, his, his pace, if we're going to talk about him and Michael Bay, is his pace is so much more stretched out. And one person it reminds me of is Michael Cimino. 
And if you look at his earlier talk about, films, talk about hit and miss too. There's another fellow. Yeah, but but if you look at his earlier films, Deer Hunter, or even Heaven's Gate, um, I think even Thunderbolt and Lightfoot a little bit. It, just the way he stretches out his sequences and how long it takes him to develop what happens, but his hold, his control. Watch of, this, of, Teak. This is an important. This yeah. is another oh, iconic. No, there's, 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 a, there's a lengthy important. setup here, though. He's got to oh, okay. do all this yeah, I, Okay. You're so, right. I forgot. It was 2001 Space Odyssey. We still have 15 minutes. Yeah, he's got to go through the whole process. <laughs> the, the, the thing about this, the thing about this is, uh, yeah, the thing about this that has uh, that I remember and I, you know I can I can recreate it as best I can without the sound is the final alarm horn. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> When it's and the sound design the is, is very, very important because it, it is. like most of the the rest of the film, at least in terms of story, the sound design is so sparse right. that when it does bring something up, like this alarm sound, or earlier when the life functions were being terminated right. on the hibernating astronauts, when he brings in those kind of klaxons, it carries a power that if you had those exact same sound effects like in, say, a Michael Bay film, they would not carry that same presence that they do here. Yeah, right. you, know, you know what well, I really... The sounds would have lens flares. Yeah. True. True. <laughs> what I really like about the action, you actually see her caution explosive bolts again. This is like the second or third yeah. time he's done it. And what I like about this is that, is so that Bowman just does not hesitate. He's like, okay, I know what I have to do. Okay, fine. Exactly. Back up. Then the, boom, the, boom, the, boom. the great little moment here when he finally when he squenches his eyes, like, oh, this is gonna suck. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, but that's just, in reaction to it. But he knows he's like moving yeah. through it. It's gonna happen. And then he's like, it just, and oh fuck. Oh, yeah. And it's the klaxon. And then and then it goes silent. This scene goes yep. totally silent. Quiet. Boom. And uh, and a great you know, a great wire effect. It's like yeah. he's he's being towed up and down a vertical shaft. Yeah. And, uh... and so it's completely silent right now right. until the moment until, where, the, where the, the door air, slams and then the air rushes in. Air At least he doesn't land because the gravity lets him yeah. sink. Yeah. Thank you for having <laughs> the gravity not come on when the air With comes the air, on. Yeah. He appeared to be trying to hold his breath. Don't ever do that. Yeah. You actually, that would yeah, be that would be an error. That would make gravity. your lungs explode. Don't do that. If for whatever reason you find yourself being blown out of an airlock, <laughs> yeah. helpful tip. In space. Exhale. Uh, bef- yeah. But the moment before, take as deep of a breath as you can, and then once you once the actual decompression starts to happen, exhale for as long as you can. That's how long you have to live. Basically. Then you have a few seconds after that, but yeah. This almost bugged me. He had a red suit, and he put a green helmet on. Yeah, well, you know, he doesn't have his doesn't have his red helmet. Well, it's, it's not conflict. Good at, he's not good at ensemble. Oh, yeah, that's good. I like that. It's he's in conflict. Idea. He can't accessorize. Yeah, that's right. Damn. I'm going to slap everybody in the world. <laughs> well, it's very important to the thematic underpinnings of the philosophical mise en scene. Yeah, the technology is no longer working. <laughs> Things are now to the hey, level yeah. where he can't have his own helmet on. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, where he's, where he's not styling anymore. Well, he's just he's abandoning his you know formerly artistic sensibilities and now just. Red with green. Who cares? That's right. Because he, well, he, he was Well, we're making drawing. fun of it, but there is a certain point to be. Yeah, it is just a way of showing this is chaos. This is there is it, exactly in, in, in there's no future, order. Every, right. Yeah. In this future, everything is planned out and works perfectly. This is just another way of saying things aren't working perfectly anymore. And the best way to show that is by have everything everything perfect until the moment where it exactly. all goes to shit. Well, exactly. he, I think that's. I think he grabbed a spare helmet. Obviously, he didn't go back to the to the main pod. Right. Um, he just grabbed an emergency helmet or something. Yeah, and of course, the thing, the th- it, it's not spelled out. But the question, the unanswered question, and, and the answer that follows is, why is he even wearing a helmet? Well, that's because Hal could dump the air out of the rest of the ship. Yeah, you right. Know? It's like he doesn't have to wear a spacesuit to deactivate Hal's brain center. The, the the ship is full of air, like always. He's just doing it as a precaution, just in case Hal gets squirrely. So he doesn't have to be wearing a spacesuit. He's just doing it. He's doing I always it to took it to mean safe. that Hal had already dumped the air. So no, it hasn't. But he's, he's but he could. Yeah, so there's, yeah, there's clear, no reason yeah. he could. He could if he wanted. He well, there is gra- there is gravity 
Well, Never mind. Yeah. yeah. Ah. Not, not in here there's not. But again, this right. is now here, okay, it's, it's raining because all it's Vegas. all red now, so, okay. And green. Contrast. Conflict. Well, you can't see the green anymore. It's all red light. Yes. Until it's the little white lights. And now, yeah. now this, and talking about an iconic scene, this is, you know, yet another, you know, iconic scene. Is this the daisy scene? This is the yes. daisy yeah. scene. So, um, which, again, I think, I think people, you know, people probably tend to know it, even though they may not know why they know it, but they know that there's a thing that exists in the zeitgeist. You yeah, know? that's me. They just, they just get it, you know. So... Which, for my money, is still one of the best death scenes on film ever. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Ooh. I mean, we yeah. really look at it. Yeah, it is. You're right. And it's a completely oh, it's non-personified... Absolutely. absolutely a death scene, you know? certainly, yeah. But Although although the uh, the computer death in Portal, um, I think, is a good close second. <laughs> well, uh, it's very similar. It is very, it's, it's it's very basically, similar. It's basically the postmodern version of hell dying. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the computer death in Portal is actually uh, uh, quite good. Uh, it's a we video keep, game. We keep referencing Portal, and, and Sarah's just still like, huh? Uh, What's that? What's Portal? Portal basically it's makes a great Hal video make, game. Basically makes Hal a sassy girl robot, but she's yeah. not like she's still a Hal. But just as megalomaniac, she, she's, she's, she's just this you. sort of you know megalomaniac. Why must well-paced. computers always be crazy? That's what yeah. I'm, I mean. But <sighs> she's snarky as shit. Yeah. yeah. So at the end, the, the the boss fight basically is where you're in the room with the computer, and and bit by bit you knock off components of it because it is a networked intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time you knock off a component, its personality changes because it's lost that part of its personality. Um, so so it's it, it it's it it. Computer, this is in Portal, goes to these different sort of, you know, sort so of phases. So at this phases. point, I like how he skips some components. He skipped yeah. number that six. That one we I'm need. Like, Why? That's my, that's my, <laughs> that's my, that's my iPod. That's music support. collection. Yeah. And obviously we're not hearing it, but at this point, Hal is pleading with him and telling yeah. him he's, I'll, I'll be good. I promise. Yeah. I'll be good. I no, swear. I, I I'm really, not going to. I meant to not kill everybody. No, I'm serious. Yeah. Oh, he actually goes back. Or at least in that shot, he went back. But looks like a continuity error. How did he kill the ones that are sleeping, yeah. right? He did. He did already. Yes. yes. Yeah. He shut their systems. And off. part of the, part of the theme. So Hal's going, going crazy. Yeah. Hal has as, as, as opposed well, to essentially these I mean, two guys weren't necessary. Hal is just going nuts. Well, I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, perceived as crazy. The thing is, he he's self preservation. It's like you're going to kill me. Okay, I'm going to kill you. Well, no. I, well, and I mean, well, his it stated like Hal started it. Well, no, but his stated. Well, his stated. Oh, no, he, no, 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 no. Screwed up. Right. The, the the yeah. The order of events was. He screwed up. They freaked out. They said, we may have to deactivate him. Right. Hal didn't want that to happen. Not because he's like, no, no, you won't kill me. It's because he, he wants to complete the mission. That's his primary goal. Right. And so when the, his, the answer he gives to Dave when he, he strands Dave outside is, why won't you let me back in? Hal says, the mission's too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. That's his answer. That's his justification. And that makes sense. It's for right. him, but unfortunately, I would think, I would think for that Dave. the people that he killed would be important for the mission. No, apparently they're not. Yeah. You know, it, it, like he not is, according to Hal. He is malfunctioning, uh, so uh, you know, he might not be making the best choices. Right. But he knows that Dave will deactivate him, and so you know he's got to keep Dave out. because And, and you know he was right. <laughs> Here's Dave deactivating him. Right, because Dave figured out how to get back in, and Hal thought he had him. and then, yeah. So Dave is now able to do whatever he needs to, which is survive, and he's now killing the mainframe. Yeah, this is the happy ending because... Clearly, in, in what he understands of the universe, now that he's destroyed the computer, he'll live forever. He'll, he'll yeah. live a long, happy life on a spaceship by himself. Well, he won't be killed out in the dark of space waiting for Hal to let him no, back yeah. in. At right, least but isn't he, isn't he, he'll die in a fancy hotel room. Isn't he equally screwed at this point? Like yeah, he, it's, not, it's not a good choice. I mean, I, I, feel, like, <laughs> I feel like what he should be doing is reasoning with Hal. 
Yeah. But there is no reasoning with him. And yeah. I think he realizes Hal, it, yeah. Hal, yeah. Already, Hal, Hal, Hal just killed four people. I think he's sort of beyond the pale of, I wonder, I wonder where's the, where's the maybe we'll just reboot him. Maybe we just need to. <laughs> right. Can I go, can I do a, uh, where's the last system restore? <laughs> we did not Hal. Hal. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> you know what I was? It was that, it was that damn GPS software I installed. Oh, if I just go back to a clean a install. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was the game. It was Half-Life. But, uh, um, no, but the interesting thing here is that, in, notice what you could have done. It could have been a small little room, and instead it's this, this long rectangular room with many, many, many banks that oh, utilizes not only the four walls but the floor and ceiling because it's yeah. zero gravity. So there's no right. reason not to. And here we go. Utilize. So here's the and this message. So here, yeah, this is and this Floyd. is this is, is Haywood Floyd. Floyd. Yeah. yeah, Floyd. And Floyd's giving the quick little brief about you know he's basically explaining what there is to know. And, yeah. and, and, and delay is like great image right he's there. Like, Hold yeah. And delay yeah. is like son of a bitch. That's what it was. Okay, I'll be darned. And this this is Hal's last act before he completely quote unquote dies. He's yeah. like he has it's, this in his memory bank. He like, goes, "Okay, you've got me. Yeah, I'll but tell the you. Mission still has to be completed. Yeah. So here it is. The thing that I wasn't allowed to tell you. This is what I. This is what yeah. they were telling right. me not to so tell now, you. So now you have to carry the ball to the yeah. end. Yeah, buddy. Good, good luck. Good luck. Hope you don't See screw ya. it up. <laughs> well, because the, because yeah. this is now this is the end of essentially I guess of of the second act we'd say, and then we go into the third act where things get a little more hard to grasp. Yeah, well, it's, in terms yeah, of motivation and everything. Second act. Yeah, yeah, basically. And the because this feels like the end of the movie of the movie. Oh, well, you could you could say that more but i feel like we just well, but for, it's the for, mission that's well, the last thing it's the mission we've, we've gotten to the end of, we, of their story anyway. we've gotten to the end of what what story there is and now there's just the the ride is all that's left the so. split screen thing yes and the yeah, hotel room it's coming up so um, and so they fade out and it comes back <laughs> normally, go. normally it does yeah. beyond the infinite see yeah. now it gets a little tricky and you got to watch carefully <laughs> Not that that'll necessarily explain everything. Because um, I didn't see, actually, you know, the first few times I didn't, I never, monolith, I never saw yeah, it. The yeah. monolith just kind of floating yeah. by, and you've got to look it's, carefully for it. You only see it when is it, it there? eclipses. It's there. Uh, where is it? No, it's in the upper left. There it is. Ah. <sighs> Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, I didn't even see Yeah, there it, it is. Okay. Well, okay, that's, yeah. a little, that's a little bit more obvious. Yeah. And it's like oh. there's a monolith out here. So is this is this three distinct short films ish? Maybe like it's got three acts that are all sort of their own. You know, you could deconstruct that pieces. way. It, the it, same way you could deconstruct three Full Metal Jacket. Three different, two, three, different three different stories that add up to you know an overall thematic idea. Yeah. Because then this becomes, uh, I'd say, the least concrete. And actually, yeah, because unto themselves, the first act is a is a story and the second act is a story and i don't remember the third act i just remember pausing it and then i don't think i finished it well if, if you're but going I, if I, you're going by that then there are three acts and we're now in the fourth act um because there there's the there's the dawn of man story there's haywood floyd's journey to the monolith there's the the oh, yeah. discovery scene and now we're in the fourth story which is peripherally the discovery mm. scene it continued oh, okay but um you know, but it's sort of going in a new direction now because right. the, now this is going to so there are fulfill, four. it's going to fulfill the mission of the film, which is contact. Yeah. They sent the signal. All right, and we're going to go find out what the hell that was about. And now we've just watched scenes of the monolith traveling through, and we have no idea where Dave is. <laughs> where are you? We did. We did see the, we did Jupiter, the discovery right? going towards well, Jupiter. Jupiter. Yeah, yeah. Jupiter. Jupiter. So in a way, the monolith is coming to. Although, Join Dave. By that, it looks like Jupiter has five Galilean moons, which is not the case. How it many moons has, does it have? It only has four Galilean moons. Yeah. It, it has a, <laughs> 20 or 30 Don't. or some ungodly amount of moons, which are essentially captured asteroids. But in terms of moon moons, the way we think of like Star Wars moons, right. it only has four. How many space stations? 
That's no moon. It's a space station. <laughs> that's no space station. It's a moon. And, and Andor is a moon also. Or the moon of Andor. Yeah. The moon of Andor, yeah. And here we have the Discovery, just puny, tiny, right next to Jupiter. Which, I mean, that's the thing about space travel. It's all a matter of perspective. Yeah. There's... That's, and that There's nothing human I, scale in I, space. I feel like I haven't represented my understanding of space, which is unbelievable melting awe yeah. at, at the scale and everything. I'm, I'm right there with all of those things. Excellent devices for storytelling. And that's what... I just feel see, like this is a, a series of weird choices. So and, I th- and admittedly, I, it works really well for a lot of people. I think the part of it is, is that this movie is trying to tell you something that you don't actually have a problem because, like you said earlier, that's it. Thank you. You just put the. Into- I'm serious. I'm not yeah. being sarcastic. You just did it. Yeah, I think that's what it that's is. That's it. Because oh yeah, you see, you see the iPad. Oh. And you go, oh, that's awesome. You, you just, see oh iTunes, and you go, that's I, awesome. I've got chills, man. That just took a load off my shoulders. What sentence did you say that solved the, the problem? The movie is trying to tell me something that I have no problem accepting before the movie started. Oh, there you go. Yeah. The iPad oh. is awesome. iTunes is awesome. Airplanes are awesome. Oh. 2001 is going all of this stuff that we can do is awesome wake up and pay attention to that I mean, yeah. I mean that, look and at then, the, t- and then the title the, final, the, the it, final act is and then there's stuff that's so awesome that you, it'll make your brain melt and you won't even you don't even, <laughs> yeah. you'll never understand it but it's awesome which is which was part which is actually the I mean ultimately the thing that really lands <laughs> the film is this last act is that it, it goes Jupiter and beyond the infinite um, I'm watching now. I'm, now, now it has my full attention. Yeah, but unfortunately, <laughs> it's all it's going to do now is to show you. You know, it's it's here's it's, the alignment. It's Michael Bay without I the tits to, right need, now is all it's going to happen from now on. Oh, that's fine. But um, yeah, the tits are always well. Space tits. space tits. This is definitely space. I've never tits. had a feeling like that. That was like a that was that was like a high just for a second there. Just like, <laughs> oh, good. I really deeply wow. just went. We actually captured the moment. Right. I just want someone to make me understand what's 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 going on and. That fucking yeah. did it. But look, but Thank look you, at Ryan. The, but look, uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad I could connect those dots. But look at the title nice. also. I mean, Space Kub- Odyssey. Um, right? Yeah. Exactly. Kubrick and Clark did use that to refer to the whole thing of the. I mean, the Odyssey. The Great was, Journey. It was yeah. a, exactly. Oh, it was a great cool journey. That's that's nice. Nice. See, right there. That's all very very in cool. alignment. All very. Look at the symmetry. Yeah. And again, we're missing it, missing it, but the music, the sounds, yeah, the music is just that's the Ligeti. Absolutely oh, can we talk, let's talk about the Ligeti for a second. Um, yeah, so there was a problem, and Georgi Ligeti's people, or Georgi Ligeti did sue Kubrick successfully for distorting his music. Oh, really? I didn't oh, know that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Even though it's very effective. And here we go. Trey, and take uh, it away. Slit scan, ladies and gentlemen. Trey, you have to understand, you're talking to people that don't know what opticals are. Explain yeah. this ground up. Thank you. This is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a technology that's like primitive now and was, you know, before, I never got a chance to play with it because it was gone by the time I got into the, into the showbiz business. But um, it's slit scan, which you, it's, it's done with uh, very long exposures of um, different colored cutouts and shapes that you actually move by the camera. Um, we couldn't we couldn't computer we couldn't computer move a camera, but we could do it hold the hold the uh, hold the shutter open and move things past a camera and create these these blurry strange you know effects. And then there's all kinds. Of, it cuts to all kinds of other things. There's there's chemicals and gaseous interactions right. being shot and all kinds of. Different so so for my which, money, which, the most interesting part in. is this beginning. So the, and this so is what blew everyone away. Now. What are, what, are, what are the and units that are sliding past the camera actually look like at normal angle? Are they just pieces of, like construction paper? I, I couldn't really tell you. It's, oh, um, that's weird. Yeah, well, that was uh, that, that. Yes, that it's was. A slit, uh, sl- let's just look up slit scan in here in the in the world when when all information is available, and uh, and you know it's 
it's a purely mechanical, optical mechanical thing that uh, the way to do it. It's like iTunes. Yeah, it's really, that's uh, that's really really cool. <laughs> it is. It's like now now it looks like your your Windows Media. You know, do you want visualization? No, I don't want visualization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Though a slit scan visualization would be really yeah. cool. What was barely at our you know the limits of our movie making technology is now the thing that everyone immediately turns off as soon as they start a new Windows install. Now watching this, you know, back in the day, or even watching this, not knowing anything, you're going like, what the hell is going Going on, but yeah. according to the story of this, is basically Bowman started going through a Stargate, which has been set up by the aliens, so to speak. If you want to get literal about yeah. it, but of it, course you go to the movies, you're going like, I'm just going along for the ride. I have no idea what's happening, but clearly something's happening in his head. Oh, something. God, that's really cool. It yeah. is absolutely gorgeous. So you can imagine on drugs what this looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's 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 contact. Well, it's contact. At this point, the drugs are for Contact. <laughs> contact gives you a narrator who explains it. We'll go to another werewolf. This one's much more violent. <laughs> this one is the same sequence of just you know without the without the crib notes to sort of help you understand what the hell's supposed to be going on. Right. And it is just you know it's. And the rowers you know, keep on rowing, and there's just no way of knowing. You know, even uh, at, this is one of the chemical. That's one of the chemical uh, effects. Shots, yeah, chemical yeah effects. that's some kind of chemical reaction. This is like what Aronofsky did, ex- exploding for the star. Um, you know, well, and I grant you, even at the time, you know, I was that is stunning. Yeah, uh-huh. that is amazingly yeah. cool. Yeah. Even at even at the time, at the age of seven, I was like, "Okay, come on, just get to get get, get to a point of some kind. Come on, I you know. I'm not. I'm actually more down for this than I was for yeah. the rest of it." Ooh, this was really where I started. Is, what's going on, Dad? This is just what's cool is like, what do you the, say? Like, over the this? last shot works for me because you, oh, look at this all chemical effects, amazing, unbelievably. Cool. How do they? What? What am I looking at? Read the book. Well, that, they'll, they'll, tell that can, they'll tell you. They'll tell you. That I can see. That's just liquid. That, that's a chicken being born. That's a it's a chicken embryo. Well, it's a model upside down, shot backwards yeah. through some fog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what that is. Yeah. No, it yeah, is, it's, it's, it's literally it's it's some chemicals. Embryonic. Yeah. yeah. Wait, is this the start? And of you the know point? they just dropped liquid into a tank like 30 or 40 oh times. Oh, my God. That looks so cool. Yeah, that's like Star Trek. It's pretty. Anyone got any weed? It's better than <laughs> Dude, Star that Trek, is, man. I'm serious. That's really awesome looking. So this is 68. You've seen everything. Oh. I mean, all this technology, all this order, and yeah. then here he goes into this. Yeah. It's only, if only they'd had a computer to do these effects with, but they didn't, so they had to think of something else. Well, the computer probably would have snapped and gone crazy. Yeah, they, they, had, they tried it with a computer, but it <laughs> killed the crew, so uh, <laughs> then they had to fall back on some other technology at that point. ILM's little-known origins. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once again, I mean, I mean, skipping to another film, this totally reminds me of The Fountain with, with what Aronofsky did yeah, totally, for all yes, the effects. Because you yeah. know, Aronofsky was going to use CGI, and that was got too expensive in the whole thing with redoing it, and he said, this is the way I'm going to do it. Oh. Which is just so much more beautiful than this, any computer can make. Where does where do lava lamps fit into the zeitgeist chronologically? <laughs> uh, a couple years later, early seventies. So a lot of the a lot of the guys that were like, dude, I did, I, I went to see two thousand one twenty five times, and I did twenty five acids. Yeah. I, t- I take that back. Actually, it's actually, no, lava, lava, lava lamps. Lava lamps were around because yeah, because yeah. they're in a, they're in they're the prisoner. Very, they're very yeah, they're very much sixties. Oh, okay, cool. I was yeah. going to say it'd be really funny if like lava lamps. Owe their existence to people who saw, <laughs> had great memories, had a great trip watching 2001. Now, an important thing about the late 60s, all mid to late 60s also, the whole mod scene had come on and, you know, everything was groovy and everything was starting to turn into the fashions that we yeah, know baby. more in the 70s. It's my happening and it freaks me out. Okay, that is... 
That's some, someone spit on the lens there. I'm sorry. Did you have to see that? The music really helps this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, Sarah, even, you can hum. You know, even at the time, you know, when I when I was seven, I was kind of like, all right, you know, let's step this along. Let's. Oh uh, yeah, let's well, that's point. Well, exactly. Well, are the adults watching the movie at this point in 1968 going? Are, are, are they separating themselves from it and just going, "That's awesome," or are they getting frustrated with it? They're they're doing I'm what, they're doing going, whatever, and again you have to. Move, I watch this going. Oh, that's cool. This was going to the movies again in the sixties and seventies. The entire movie industry and the way you perceived the movie industry was completely different than the way you perceive the movies now. Um, you know, and the whole concept of going to the movies and why you went to the movies and what you expected from going to the movies. You know, um, it's it's it was people would come out of a movie and they might go, "I didn't get that. I didn't understand that," um, and it was. Okay, to have said that. It's like I didn't get that one. Yeah, right. I, I right. didn't get that one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, better luck next time. Obscure, yeah. obscure context was yeah. acceptable, and you have to figure out you know, what the hell was going on. You know, you went to the movie, and you know, you didn't, you didn't, you knew maybe innately, like you know, what you kind of expected from movies because you'd seen movies, but you didn't go. And then at the end, there'll be a giant explosion. That's that's what that's movies today. Movies today. End with a giant explosion. If you don't get a giant explosion, you kind of go, I was dissatisfied with that movie because movies end with giant explosions. Um, you know, this movie, you didn't know what the hell. You were going to get a thing, you know, and and you all you knew was, you know, your, your friends said, I saw that. That was, it was wild. That was crazy. It was, it was interesting, but everyone's talking about it. You might want to check it out. I don't know. See what you think. Um, but... You got what you got, you know. You came away from it. No one understood this movie the first time it came out. Nobody did. People only thought they did. You know, right. <laughs> they just go. I thought it was about this. I thought did, it, at the end, isn't it God saying, "Don't go into space"? Yeah, sure, if you like, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, sure. I mean, I mean, this. You want it to be that? Then it's that. Well, this yeah. is just Stanley Kubrick's, uh, like, never go to Utah thing because I was high the time I went. Well, yeah. I, th- I think it's coming to Utah. Utah I think, I think there's, I think there's the Hebrides also. Yeah. Um, and, and it's so and it's so distorted visually. Also, yeah. we're going to see any Vasquez rocks, or is this all in England? Yeah, well, no, it's, it's, no, this is all the, the, the American West. West. Yeah. yeah, but, but it would have been it would have been B roll stuff. It would have been yeah. sending just, somebody just, out. Just grab some some film in a helicopter and went. Yeah. So I mean, this even this part even again to me at the time this was kind of like well this is just. This is working. Hel- for, this, this is, is working heli- for me. This is helicopter shots that are colorized. It's not nearly as cool yeah. as the slit scan. You know, you would do it the other the other way around, end on the slit scan because that was like that was literally mind blowing. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is this is when you know there was a lot of experimental filmmaking going on, and definitely there was some of this on the outskirts of experimental filmmaking. And he just brought it essentially. Well, I don't yeah. want to. I mean, it's it, about put the it most in, mainstream. Put it in an MGM movie. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm singing in the rain. Yeah. Look at the water. <laughs> look I'm at singing that. in the greasy. <laughs> yeah. But you look at this water. I mean, you know it's water, but it looks so alien. It just looks bizarre. So, yeah. I, I, but, I, yeah, at this point, I'm I like, okay, this, this, this part cool. is the least successful, you know, especially yeah. because I am in agreement. They're so, they're so, it's just like sort of artlessly just cutting from, look, we colorize this landscape. Do we color the art, colorize this one? Do we colorize this one? Well, for me, it makes it, it's because it makes it a, a tiny bit too literal. What the, visual, yeah. what the visual landscape yeah. is, whereas just they weren't before. To go out of the, the you know, slit scan. And also the, the fact that you can kind of see the iris there in the corner. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little well, bit, yeah. yeah. But. I'll cut it some slack. But at the same time, you have to, you've just spent two hours in one world, and he's trying to do his best in, you know, five minutes to disconnect you as completely from that world you've just spent two hours in as, as he can. So yeah, in, in a way he's training. I mean, I see what he's, he's trying he's trained, to do. He's, trained, he's, he's, he's untraining us visually from what we've seen, right. To something 
something else. entirely different. And then, and then without alienating you completely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The one thing that, and the one thing that's so great about it is, is then when he finally like, okay, where does this ride end? <laughs> Boy, it's just like you really kind of go, yeah. what? <laughs> so, what are we listening to right now? Just this is Leg- Orchestra Leggetti. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's the a, weird vocals. Yeah. Leggetti, yeah. And then the color, yeah. The, and then, color then it's going it's to start changing on the blink yeah. very soon. Yeah, which is a great effect. Oh, and, like, then he, and then uh, isn't it when it, it finally goes normal, that's when we're out of the sequence, isn't yeah. that how it is? Uh, yeah. Then the, yep, there you go. here we are. And here he's. And then here's the. Here's the. Yeah, exactly. This ending sequence. You know, this this ending sequence. I always, you know, even as a kid, I was like, okay, I don't understand this, but I like it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I dig the ending sequence, and and. uh, I love his. Yeah, his reaction. He's still shaking from the trip. I'm so wigged out right now. Now, once again, remember, this is. He's bugging out. Yeah. This is this is pre-home video. You have to wait years, or you have to go back to the movie theater to see this, or wait several years to see it again and understand it. Yeah. I don't know which commentary or, or, least and or read the book, yeah. but to reference our Groundhog's Day commentary, about three weeks to a month in, that's how I would be behaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just, okay. I'd uh, have fun, I'd try to figure it out, and then I'd just go for a while. All right, so what is the most generally accepted explanation for what's going on now? Generally? It, the, that they've, con- they've essentially, this is in his mind, they've, they've constructed this reality him. for him. Okay, and, and and basically in the space of a couple of cuts, we're going to see the rest of his life. Um, ah, yeah. okay. And we're going to see and, him live yeah. his entire life in this. And it's open to interpretation whether they artificially age him or we're just covering the span of sixty years. And and the, in yeah, the next few cuts, yeah, exactly. which it doesn't really matter. But it doesn't really make sense that he would still be wearing his spacesuit thirty years after the fact. But it, right. again, it doesn't really matter. It's still, it's still trippy. I think he's just been crazy for the last yeah. 45 years. And where's the pod? Where's yeah, the I pod mean, it going? could very well be, I've spent 45 years in this room, and I'm going to put my spacesuit on again, just for old time's <laughs> sake. Just for old time's sake. I'll go with your first explanation there. Yeah. Okay. The non-literal one. Where, yeah. Again, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. Once again, it goes back, it's his experience. It's, in a way, it's his, it's his odyssey. He's not going, they're taking him through his steps in his life. I love to the mundane things. That's the whole thing. What's he yeah. doing next? Yeah, <laughs> I was going to eat, and he's going to drink, and, and he's, he's going to break a glass. That's, oh, oh, there's so much written about the glass breaking. Yeah. Oh, and then he can actually hear. He can hear there's like water sounds. Yeah, and what they use, the echoes of, there of is another a life. Rich, weird guy with this room. <laughs> I hope so. I hope there with, is with an underlit floor. Totally, I want that floor. It's I actually kind of cool. Floor. I love that underlit floor. Yeah. It's like. The ghost of Michael Jackson is standing on every tile. <laughs> Too obscure? <laughs> no, uh, not ex- obscure enough, I think, is the problem. Hmm. Not a great old man makeup job. No, not the best. They did a, like they did a better it, job in 2010, actually. Yeah. yeah. I like it because what it looks like. Obviously, it doesn't look like a convincing real yeah. aging. It looks, but it, it looks it like. Look, it looks it, off, and maybe that's good. You it, know? It, looks it looks like. Weird. It which looks, actually would make sense. It actually, yeah. it actually, I can't get it actually, old age right. It feels right that the. Um, the overall, the meat of his skin doesn't hang as it's aged, but the skin itself is, it, you know, it, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it looks like a 30-year-old guy just went through an experience that made him older, but his body didn't actually age. If that makes any sense. Like, that, I'm trying to explain away what was probably just a... No, right. I think... That, yeah, I mean, it works, it works as well as anything else. What's Let's also, be honest. Right. The, the vibe of this scene is very much, um, you know, Kubrick going, someday I'm going to make The Shining. 
because this, <laughs> suddenly this this section is just like feels just like The Shining. It has that That's same true. vibe to it, um, but it's better. The big the big empty you know spaces and very slowly revealing what's in the next room and and the suspense of what is that and just letting it play out only what you take with you yes and it, it, it's just and once again getting back to economy he's he's skipping through this guy's life and he and kubrick figured out a way to do it that just totally takes you in through point of view yeah and here exactly we're still back at bowman's point of view he looked back at himself and we're still sticking yeah. with it Except, except it was probably never his point of view. It was just sort of, you know, we're, we're sort of seeing it by juxtaposition of the way the cuts are. But exactly. He didn't, like, turn and see himself in a spacesuit. You know, this no. Is, this is just him 40 more years on. Well, it doesn't tell us. It doesn't, yeah. but now, now it he thinks he's that. seen it, and yeah. now he's going to come and take a look. And we're expecting him, maybe this time he'll see something. Looks like an old Biff haircut. <laughs> it is. <laughs> if someday a crazy, crazy wild-eyed man. alien... That's Hands a- you this monolith. I never thought it'd be me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice blue robe, actually. Look at That's that. That's a very nice robe. That hotel's fancy. I wonder, can you take that with you when you finish, when you leave Jupiter? I want to stay in a hotel that has the underlit floor like that. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Can I say I like this transfer very, very much? Yes. I was, yeah, I actually meant to, to mention that earlier. Yeah, we're looking at it. But a, it's a, absolutely beautiful. Probably the nicest I've seen in 2001 since I saw it in a theater. I have to, you know, you have to wonder when was the last time they struck a print. Yeah. I don't know. When I saw it in the Egyptian a couple of years ago, when I first moved out here, it was plainly a forty-year-old print. Mm. So there were scratches, and, and I mean, it's still a beautiful movie, but it was clearly an old print. No one well, will maybe, be. It's well, maybe, maybe actually Warner Brothers for like the fiftieth anniversary can strike a new print. What do you uh, think? Maybe. Oh maybe God, I hope so. Oh, yeah. Hopefully play it at the Egyptian again or some other, you know, oh, uh, nice, no, no. nice um, house. Arclight. Or the Arclight, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, once again, when I saw it, it was in the theater that actually did the Cinerama oh, movies. Oh, nice. Yeah. In the Dome. And now, it's well, interesting. this is in Montreal. It's interesting uh, that um, we're back. <gasps> like I said, so much has been written about that. Yeah, yeah. It's the marriage of the future and the past. <laughs> oh, well, because the whole this thing is a Jewish thing. Well, that, that that's what the, the, some of the criticism. The marriage is. of the, the future. Whole, I was well, like, yeah. wow, of all this, of all the bonehead interpretations, I never thought it. Or go once there. again, it's mun. It's wait, listen. It's what's what I read. I mean, yeah. for me, it's the one the, the mundanity of life, the accidental things. I mean, here, yeah, it's, 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 it's like you know, it's, we 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 just. But can't, here he actually stop screwing up. That's the thing. Is we, you know, we're but here he actually takes an interest. He goes, oh crap, look what I did. Let me check that out. Check that out. And 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 your penalty is you're going to die of old age. Yeah, I think that's for everybody. So looking back, nice what'd you think? <laughs> How was it? How were the last 45 years in this one room? That's some interesting old age makeup. Yeah, it's an interesting choice to make him bald. Like completely, totally bald. And, and you know, exactly. And the skin is not sagging that much. Yeah, it's, that's yeah. the problem with the rubber is it's not, it's not following, that's falling okay. back. And then here's like, well, what's he doing? What's he and doing? yeah, we hear, we let, there's the tension of what is he doing? Just play out. Yeah. Until there it is. It's the model of the... So, okay. Um, thanks. And uh, we finished our, our experiment. And, so, uh, uh, and we are now going to do something else with you. So this is uh, cool and all. And uh, we've made a decision. Um, 
Uh, so if, gonna, I just, if I could just get you to fill out this. <laughs> yeah, if you just sign this just here. Sign this. And, uh, well, actually, it's interesting that he's reaching for it because he – obviously, he's been there for whatever time, if, even if it's been for a mo- moment, and he knows what knowledge it, it has, what it means, and he wants it. He desires it. Remember the first time I ever saw this this shot of the star baby that wide shot of it? I'm like, what in the hell is that? Oh, <laughs> oh well, yeah, exactly. If everything's been weird, and now it's like totally, totally off. It's like what? So is that a model of a baby? Yeah, that's a sculpture. Yeah, that's so great. it's it's deliberately sculpted to look a little like Cure Delay. Go all the way, and it goes right into the monolith into black. Boom! boom. Yes, and now, he, yes, he didn't go into black into stars. He just did a cut. It's uh, no optical transition. We don't have time for that shit. And now we're back into Zarathustra. From the very beginning of the film. We're not doing Ow. that. We decided not to do that. Oh. We did it at the beginning. And now, it didn't in, the, go well. in the context go of, just well wa- of just watching this film. Our rehearsal was good, though. Yeah. Um, I mean, this works because there's no explanation of what it is. You make it of it what you will. Obviously, the star child is coming back to Earth. We don't know when. Doesn't matter. There's more explanation of what it is literally. Are we sure that's Earth in the book? And actually, they had sh- they had shot some stuff, and they were going to include it, but they just cut it out to keep it open to interpretation. Yeah, but according to the book, which is much more literal, it's like the Star Child is you know the first thing he does is destroy all the orbiting nuclear weapons, which we saw at the beginning of the Haywood Floyd sequence. Yeah, you did. Yep. Yeah, we Those saw, were we saw the satellites. orbiting nuclear weapons, right? and they had considered putting it in the film, but they just. Nah. I mean, at some point, they took that out. Said, That's like what I was saying. Those, the satellites in the book are nuclear weapons platforms, and they just oh, didn't convey it, that information it, right. in the film. And that's and that's it. He's, well, that's I mean, it, it ends, and if you look at it, he looks right at us, and that's when it fades out. And then we have more Johann Strauss. To end that's an interesting box. complete sentence for a credit. Yes. This <laughs> film was, was directed <laughs> and <laughs> produced by Stanley Kubrick. This Kilbert. screenplay was written by Trey. Stanley Kubrick. That's that whole British yes. thing. Yes. What does it mean to be human? Uh, it was all in that movie, man. I can't do anything more for you than that. All right, Brian. 2001. What does it mean to be human, or Cinerama. what is 2001? Cinerama. Cinerama. No, what, how do you feel about they, 2001? They had to build a whole dome for it's, that. It really is beyond words, which is a cliche, half-assed way of getting out. But it's just a spectacular, spectacular experience. Okay. Be, being uh, human or 2001? Both. Okay. okay. And, and the, I agree with the second part. And the, <laughs> with seven. Well, the one is trying to tell us about the other, and that's what it's trying to do. Okay. All right. Trey? What, what does it mean to be human? That was a red herring joke. Okay. How do you Edward Bishop. Oh, Glenn, Glenn Beck. Oh, Beck. God. Oh, God. Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck. Oh, God. And Penny Brom. Frank Miller. Frank Miller. But Ed Bishop. No, I don't Ed Bishop that's... rules. Yeah. All right. How do you feel about 2001? I, you know, it's funny because uh, this is the first time in quite a long time that I've actually sat down and watched 2001 from beginning to end. So it's actually was interesting to, to realize what things I didn't even necessarily remember that clearly about it or, and things I remembered all too well. Danny Grover. Oh, Grover. <coughs> Here you go. Designed and yeah. directed by Really? Kubrick did a lot of his oh, own yeah. stuff. I guess he was a photographer, huh? Oh, very much. He started as a pho- still photographer and got into movie directing. I can definitely see um, that. But the it's so it was interesting to watch it again and uh, and uh, see how it how it feels now. And uh, you know, it, it, it's it's as we were saying. It's 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 not the kind of movies that people tend to make today. And uh, you know, it's it's not the it's. Or the, not the kind of movies that tend to get released by studios anyway. I'm sure people are making movies like this. It's just that we never see or hear about them. Um, but they're probably still out there. 
But um, Kubrick is not, you know, they're, they're, I've had numerous, you know, uh, vociferous arguments with people who, who tried to say that everything Kubrick ever did is a genius and I'm, is a piece of work of genius. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't think Eyes Wide Shut's kind of a piece of shit. But, um, you know, I can see that the same guy made it and I can see that it's, you know, interesting and, you know, but I, 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 that for me, Eyes Wide Shut is a, is a movie I watch the whole thing and I go, I don't know what that was all about. Or, you know, it kind of held my attention, but I, I didn't enjoy it. I wouldn't say I enjoyed the experience. And this one does, you know. This one, this one works for me. Some of his other movies are hit and miss for me. Um, Clockwork Orange is kind of grotesquely fascinating, and uh, and uh, you know they hit me in different ways. Um, and I can't separate the fact that this thing is just so seminal for me personally, and the way I experienced it, and the way it was to be part of the culture that was experiencing it at the time, because it was this was definitely a phenomenon movie and once a movie passes into phenomenon it doesn't matter if people get it or not they're going to go see it and everyone's talking about it and everyone's aware of it so this was definitely one of those movies Serge oh what a lot of what Trey said I mean once again Seminole saw this as a child just fascinating and I gotta say watching this I haven't seen it in quite a number of years uh, the whole thing through and it, it still I still think it's great I st- it still just captures my imagination as an adult, not even as a child, and just watching it, and it still is relatable. Okay, the whole thing flying through the mountains and all that, and the colorized stuff. It's I still have that same reaction to it, but I, you know, I think your point, uh, I think your point was was well made about how it uh, it, it allows us to take the journey between. Well, I guess I expanded on the point between the technology and and the new world, so to speak. Um, it, it was of its time, but I, I, I think it still it, it transcends. That whole experience, and it is just such a, it's a visceral. It is a, as other Kubrick films are a visceral experience, as David Lynch films are in a, to a certain extent. Yeah. Which uh, and I can't I can't say that there's a single David Lynch film that I've ever enjoyed, and I've only seen like half of them. Never bothered to see half of them, but uh, you know. So that for him, for he's an example of kind of what what Teague's been talking about is like I just don't get why people like them. But people do, you know, and I'm I'm okay with that. I don't lose sleep over the fact that people like David Lynch movies. Right, but once again, it, they just don't work it, for me. But it works, and, and for me, I mean, I don't like all of David Lynch's films either. It's just that there's a number of them or some of them that, once again, these films, this one, um, even Strange Love, that that bunch around that time, Clockwork Orange. They, Def- definitely it, for me, his, high, his heyday of, yeah. of films that I like. Yeah, I mean, but once again, it, it, there's... That visceral reaction to it. Once again, it is an experience. You have to sit through it, and you go through it. And he manages through his talent, at least for me, to capture me and keep me with what's going on. Um, and it just captures my imagination. This movie pissed me off, and Brian just made this movie not piss me off. Yeah. Wow. This whole down in front we, thing has we, been about me understanding why some people like movies that I don't sharing like. Sharing and healing and growing. Never gotten any closer to understanding any movie except for maybe Full Metal Jacket, and Eddie helped me on that one. I helped too. Holy shit. You, you, you were there. Your oh. hair was great that day. It, it's always great. <laughs> well, no, but you, yeah. and Eddie, you and Eddie both approached two different... It's weird. Those are the two movies, actually. You both approached explanations of Kubrick films two different ways, and both worked for me. In fact, yours works better for me than his did. His was that a lot of times there's there's something to be said. I think it's some some guy's whole thing and this is what he's written books about. But there's something to be said for the parallel between dreaming and seeing a movie and how you you go into this when you're when you're dreaming, you start to fall asleep and the lights go out, then you start to see these weird images that don't necessarily relate to anything and then the lights come back up and you go about your day and you, you it's just this 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 real thing that happens, and movies are very similar. You go into a theater, the lights go down, you see some images, the lights come back up again, and you just walk away as if it didn't happen. 
and when you put it that way and, and, and compare it to a dream, watching any Kubrick movie becomes a little bit more sensible because it's, as we've said before, we've tried to rationalize it any number of ways, but storytelling isn't necessarily what he's doing. He's not saying, you know, this isn't the Shawshank Redemption. This is just, this happened to this guy and this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. And there's a thematic resonance to them and they juxtapose well and at the end of the day you walk away feeling something about what he was showing you and if he conveyed the same vibe you would have having seen a storytelling movie then he's done the same thing as everyone else he just did it a different way and it's all different and great and equal and wonderful things and I didn't get that until Eddie said dude it's it's a dream that's it don't think of it as a story think of it as a dream and that was a really enlightening thing for him to say this even that didn't work for me. <laughs> um, and uh, it kind of just blew my mind, man. That was really, really cool. Because the way I'll approach that when I'm explaining it to people later is I'll say, well, you know how sometimes when there's a, an idea you're trying to convey to an audience who's just not ready to accept it, so you sort of... It's basically a subtlety in the movie, and you're trying to sort of just lay into it. Like, you know, the, the, the relationship that Fight Club has with the act of fighting, one of those sort of things where you, you, you can't just come out and say that because the audience won't accept it, blah, 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 blah. 2001 does that. Only, I was with it before. That's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, I don't know if that fully changes my experience watching the movie. It won't make it any easier for me to watch. But the parts that have always held up for me will still hold up. The slit, stream, slit screen sequence is slit scan. really... Let's, let's scan. Slit scan. Slit scan sequence is really, really badass. And the visual effects are stunning. And the photography is beautiful. You know, we, by, by the way, we should say we, we gave... Uh, you know, we were given... Alien and Aliens props for being, you know, a 30-year-old movie that still holds up and still is a, a, you know, a, a, a style setter. This this is a 40-year-old movie, 40 plus. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, this when, when, when they're doing their space stuff, you know, they it's just as nailed now as it was then. And, I, I, again, it is something that just can't be, you know, I can describe it, but I really can't make you feel it. It's like, you know, this... Imagine going to the theater and seeing this in a world where Star Wars did not exist, where Star Trek was not, you know, it existed but was not widely known. Was um, not more than 15 inches wide. Exactly. And, and you know, and most people didn't bother to watch it at all. You know, it's like when, when we hadn't gone to the moon and, you know, Apollo broadcasts were, were at a rare occasion on television sometimes in the grainy black and white. <laughs> when you, you put know. it that way, it's like, so basically all the, 100% of the force of the fascination they had when they were drawing those pulp comics. Same force, no more knowledge, but they see this instead of the comics. Yeah. That would yeah. blow your mind. That right. would crack your skull open and make your blood yeah. shoot out like this film in a nutshell. Thanksgiving. This film in a nutshell is about you live in an awesome environment and you are a awesome creation. Whether you want to say that was a creation by another intelligent creator or just a happenstance of biology, either way, you're a creation that is awesome, living and existing in an awesome environment. Appreciate that understand that and just look up and notice every now and then at the awesome things that you can do and that people just like you can do and the places you and we can go. That's what this film is about in a nutshell. I love you, man. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> oh. All right. On that note, on that beautiful note, thank you very much for listening. You can always go to downinfront.net, go to iTunes, subscribe to us, get a brand new episode every single week, twitter.com slash downinfront, facebook.com slash downinfront, register on our forums, talk to us, explain to us why Brian knows so much about 2001 and Serge knows so much about 2001 and Trey knows, and I don't know anything about anything in the entire world. Go to, um, there's a third thing, Cafe Press and buy a shirt. You're a hoodie. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, and always will be. And always will be. They're never going to go out of fashion. We're going to have bell bottoms and hoodies. It's going to hold up 40 years from now. Yeah, you'll be buried in it. <laughs> the down in front hoodie is going to be your Kubrickian fashion wear. That's right. Uh, I am myself, T. Christie. Brian Hedefer. Serge Del Pierre. Trey Stokes. Crazy I'm afraid, T. I'm afraid. Friendsinyourhead.com